Louder! live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you another edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. It's February, so you know what that means. We're just a stone's throw away from when Cupid takes aim. So as tradition for the podcast, we invite all of you out there in the rant arm me to spend Valentine's Day with the man of your dreams, or in this case, nightmares. That's right, it's time once again to take a trip to Elm Street and visit our favorite cinematic slasher with an in-depth retrospective of the often maligned Freddy's Dead. We'll be tackling the good, the bad, and the ugly of the sixth installment of the long-running Nightmare on Elm Street series, but tonight, Freddy's Dead has a knight in shining armor coming to valiantly defend it. That man is the author of the upcoming Welcome to Elm Street Inside Film and Television Nightmares. That's right, Wayne Byrne will be joining us later in the episode. Lots of great stuff coming up, but first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Come on down to Mask by Lance, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mask by Lance. Go order one now, boy. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. Assholes, it's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. Here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your children, sell your blood, go to the jack-off clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money as long as you give it to us. Want a t-shirt? Want a sticker or a mug to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Rant Army? Well, guess what? Go to Rant Army Surplus. The link is in the description. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! Freddy's Dead is, to me, the most underrated entry in the series. I say that because parts three and four are rightly and respectively celebrated as fan favorites, but I rarely hear Freddy's Dead being acclaimed as such. I think there is a general assessment of the film as having made Freddy too cartoonish, but that ship had already sailed. I mean, by part four, he was already full-blown talk show host Freddy. But then they tried to take the franchise and Freddy into darker, more serious territory with part five, and that just didn't work, either on a tonal, 
aesthetic or cultural level. By 1989, Freddie was already a pop culture icon. So to take part five in the direction that they did felt like a major misstep. So for me, Freddie's Dead not only writes that wrong by restoring the cynical, wisecracking anti-hero of the middle films, but it strikes the perfect tone for the time in which it was made, the early 1990s. It was the Generation X era, a time when art turned to irony, sarcasm, self-reflexivity, and being hyper-aware of itself and external media. Within this context, it makes perfect sense that Freddie's Dead references Looney Tunes, Roseanne, The Wizard of Oz, and Nintendo. It feels in sync with shows like The Simpsons or films like Reservoir Dogs, texts which were acutely aware of past and present pop culture outside of their own diegetic worlds. They're using that to inform their sense of identity, humor, and personality. Another thing I love about Freddy's Dead, and which is perhaps another element that connects so specifically to early 90s pop culture, is the soundtrack, which is comprised largely of bands from the Metal Blade record label. You have the Goo Goo Dolls when they still wanted to sound like their replacements and before they veered into the middle of the road. There are several tracks in the film from their excellent third album, Hold Me Up, including You Know What I Mean and Two Days in February. Their theme song for the film, I'm Awake Now, is one of their best songs, period. Screw Iris. Elsewhere, you have great songs by the Junk Monkeys and Iggy Pop, all contributing to a soundtrack which gives the film an attitude as this rebellious, alternative, fuck you, Freddy movie. If we look at the evolution of the Elm Street series, we can see that a parallel the rise of MTV and how it changed with prevailing moods of pop culture. In part three, Freddy was easing himself into mainstream acceptance while remaining entertainingly evil. And it came with a radio-friendly heavy metal soundtrack. Part four reflected the commercial rise of new wave acts like Billy Idol, The Divinals, and Dramarama. And the film shared that sensibility, a fun, vivacious mix of pop and punk. Freddy's Dead arose just as the grunge era, a more hard-edged alternative rock took over the airwaves and MTV. And it shares that cynical, ironic outlook. One of the most exciting things for me writing my book, Welcome to Elm Street, was being able to dig into my feelings on Freddy's Dead and analyze it from various perspectives. One of those I felt needed to be celebrated was its handlings of its themes. Freddy's Dead alludes to some heavy subject matters. We are given a glimpse into the background of the teenage protagonists, as well as Freddy himself. And what we are told is that these people experienced horrendous physical and or sexual abuse at the hands of their parents. It also shows us a different social context we don't normally get from the sunny suburban middle-class milieu of other Elm Street films. We see that Tracy and Carlos come from fairly rundown living environments. They are that rare beast, working-class Elm Street denizens. Meanwhile, Spencer is the classic rich kid with daddy issues, perhaps a more typical bourgeois Springwood family, and so his death scene is more absurd than the others and is played for laughs. The revelation of the other teens' neuroses is far more devastating. Of course, Freddy is aware of all these vulnerabilities and uses it against them. But the film juxtaposes the laughs and the allusions to those more devastating revelations of the teens' backgrounds with a great balance of tone, whereas part five went too dark with its gothic sensibilities and made for a more miserable viewing experience. Freddy's Dead knows when to pull back from the dark themes and bring in some action or some humour to alleviate it from getting too bogged down. It works both ways. Those dark themes are needed to keep the film from becoming a cartoon. The film's major failing is, of course, the final act, the whole 3D segment. It's not totally irredeemable, however. The backstory glimpses into Freddy's upbringing are very good, but the basement showdown is such an anticlimactic way to bring the curtain down on Freddy and the Elm Street series. But we will forgive the film that flaw, as Freddy's Dead remains as fresh and exciting now as it was when its arrival announced the death knell for the formal franchise 30 years ago. 
if anything, with that distance of time affording us a more historical perspective on the film, allowing us to see how it fit in with and utilised pop culture as a form of film identity. Freddy's Dead is revealed to be much more clever and original than it has ever been given credit for. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Visit our website at monstersmadnessandmagic.com to stay up to date on all the dark dealings within the sanctuary of the strange. Enjoy the show. All right, Rant Army Crack, open a bottle of your finest champagne. <laughs> because tonight we celebrate the life and the legacy of the deadly and dearly departed Fredward Juicy Kruger and his final cinematic outing of the original series with an in-depth retrospective of Freddy's Dead. I'm your host, Brandon A. Lane, and there's no one I'd rather spend Valentine's Day with than the man sitting across from me right now, my forever hetero life mate, the J to my silent Bob. You know him, you love him, Fat Tony. Yes, and weirdly enough, physically, we're the opposite. He would be he would be the J, I would be the fat or silent Bob. And that's why I put it that way. But it's called irony. I am the talker. I mean, you know. The yeah, goofy. That's true. Yeah, we, we kind of both are. I'm Fuck the, it. I'm the short, silent type. <laughs> I'm the tall, fat, talky type. Sorry. I'm just, I'm so excited about talking about this movie. Freddy's my thing. Eddie gets Michael. Jason's kind of free for everybody. That's Brandon's baby. He can have whoever. But Freddy's mine, damn it. And I, I almost was willing, like, we had a COVID scare at our house. Luckily, it was all negative, but I was going to call Brandon. I'm like, listen, man, I'm immunized. I've had it. Let's do this. And let him roll the dice. If he said no, it would have been no. But. Hey, if Freddie's going to be dead, then I'm willing to, I'm willing <laughs> to chance yeah. it just to get this out. So, let's hit the ground running. Freddie's Dead, The Final Nightmare, was released September 13th, 1991. It had an estimated budget of $11 million, and on its we- opening weekend... It made that money back, $12,966,525. It's worldwide gross, $34,872,033. So even though the Nightmare series had taken somewhat of a, a dive after the fourth film, I mean, Freddy's Dead still made money. And the, the hype machine for this movie was strong. I remember I got, like, the Fangoria Presents Freddy's Dead standalone issue. I was bugging my dad to go. Like, there, there was a lot of hype for this movie. Well, that brings me to my first question. Did you see this in the theater? I saw this in theaters, and I was a little asshole. Uh, they gave you the 3D glasses because the end of the movie's in 3D. But it said right on there... Do not put on until blah, blah, blah. Lisa Zane's character puts them on in the movie. I saw a couple of grown people sitting there with them on and, like, not knowing them at all. My dad wanting to crawl under a seat and die of embarrassment. I'm like, excuse me, only the end of the movie is in 3D. If you, It says right here when the character puts it on, then you put I just didn't want you to, like, spoil your... I want you to have... I even said, I want you to have a good time. Ten years old. Should have been smacked. I also saw this film in the theater. This is the first Nightmare on Elm Street film that I got to see in the theater. And normally my grandmother, my 
racist, racist cool grandma. Racist grandmother would be the person to take me to this type of thing. However, my grandmother had a feeling about Freddie very similar to Kelly Rowland in um, Freddie versus Jason. I'll leave that to you to figure <laughs> out. Um, so my aunt Janet took me to this, and um, I I have to say this movie has a lot of issues, and we'll we'll tackle them as it we go does. on. But I have nostalgic feelings for Freddy's Dead because I saw it in the theater and I was so excited for the 3D. However, I was very let down when I got those uh, glasses handed to me and they explained, you know, the whole thing about the putting them on when uh, Maggie's, uh, the character of Maggie puts them on and we'll tackle the whole 3D as we continue on. But other than that, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie as a kid. What do you think IMDb, how the... Enclave of people. 3.6. A little bit higher. 4.9 out of 10. It's right down the middle. That's, honestly, they've never been right, but they're kind <laughs> I would have given them the 5.2. I love that. I'll make no bones. All of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I have something. Even, even fucking five. Even when we get to that, that's going to be a heady subject. Even five, which is demonstrably the worst, has things I love. You know, and I just want to say this, uh, for the record, our buddy Mick Strawn, who worked on 3 and 4, and he did the excellent, excellent teaser trailer for 5. He was going to be the production designer on that film, and he had a, kind of a butting of heads moment with uh, Stephen Hopkins, who directed the film, and uh, he exited the project. However, his sister, CJ, she did the production design the on that movie. looks good. And That's the, not my the, issue. That is the saving grace really of that is. film. The MC Escher shit. Oh like yeah, it, the whole end. Well, that's not the movie we're here to talk about. Let's 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 give. We're here to attend a funeral. This is this is the end of end of an era. We're here to talk about. That's that's absolutely Freddy's true. Dead. And uh, talking about the end of an era. Uh, what, what do you think Rotten Tomatoes rates? Thirty eight percent. 22%. Oh, that's damn. With an audience score of 32. So it's a little closer. I, I know the audience, but again, like, I want a bitch, but I can't. I really, really can't. This is Looney Tunes meets not, meets Freddy Krueger. We'll get into that later as we talk, but this is Looney Tunes the movie. <laughs> if In that light, it <laughs> that actually... would have been... Had they marketed it, it had been Bugs Bunny instead of Freddy Krueger. No, the no. whole movie, 10 out of 10. Every, all, if you replace all the characters with Looney Tunes characters and keep Freddy in the movie, I, I think this came. is... This is this. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking table shot up two inches off the Sorry ground. about the sound. The, the, pure, the pure combustion. <laughs> Metacritic has Freddy's dead at 39 out of 100. I... Uh, still, I mean, I again, even trying to be fairly, I'd give it like like four point nine, so forty nine percent. That's still a little low, but I think there's two scores I want to hear. One is Google users, then we'll get to the most important score. But what do we have? I'm gonna say seventy eight percent Google users, eighty one percent. They always they come through for me. Yeah, I have to imagine that over time that people have sort of found an appreciation for this film because there's no way if Google had been around during no. that time, this movie would be ranked no, that people high. People were pissed. Only young kids like us just loved every minute. <laughs> like, hardcore fans, probably, I couldn't imagine. The only, <coughs> the only measure that actually matters, that's our Rant Army review. In, in our Facebook group, we had two options. Freddy's Dead, good. Freddy's dead, bad. What do you think? They're I don't right? think it's going to be this high, but I'm going to say 85%. 67%. I, I, I can't be mad. I can't. I won't. 
none of these probably not even a third of these people were my age and saw it in the theater at 10 you know and was just like yeah i'm at a horror movie i had the magazine in front of it's 3d yeah i'm not even mad so on fat tony's hit list we have five Six, if you include Freddy, and being that it's the titular we got in- indication it. of the film, we have to. Um, that averages averages to one kill every fourteen point eight three minutes, and that's pretty that's, far for the course for a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yeah. Now we'll argue a little later on I, on whether or not there should have been one or two more kills in this film, but I digress. However, also par for the course, we have a big goose egg and stank dick Eddie's titty tally. And <sighs> I would have loved to have seen Lisa four, Zane. Four, and I'm not going to count one, but four is the only one that really has a titty in it. Five, well, no, five has the, four house has the body pressing. What is yeah, that's Linnea Quigley. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, believe me, I know. <laughs> five has a body double, but do you actually see Nip in the beginning? Like, weird. You don't know if you're jacking off to the dude's body or the <laughs> chick's body. And I did that, and I'm like, fuck it. Labels of labels. Real progressive. It was younger. the 90s. It was the 90s. Um, <coughs> you know, I... I <coughs> excuse me. How dare you come? Um, so, so just... I'll, God I'll, damn that COVID. <laughs> got him. <laughs> All right, listen. The Number No Street series has never been known for having an abundance of bare breast, but the series has always been known for very very successful and it's also known that it's uh, being going willing to go the distance and and stand toe to toe with the stiff competition of whatever oh. year it was released so let's check out the stiff competition of 1991 and fat tony if you'd be so kind to read out our Gladly. esteemed class of i do want to point out the 90s is brandon's least favorite decade so <clears throat> nine seven six evil two Nah. Directed by <laughs> our frenemy, Jim Wynorski. Yeah. Body Parts, fun movie. Campfire Tales, I know I've seen it, but I just... Cape Fear Remake, one of the best thriller movies to cut. It stands up there with Silence of the Lambs as, like, mainstream elevated horror. Well, it's... Definitely- Child's Play 3, eh, it's okay. Dolly Dearest, eh, it's okay. Boy, I, Brandon might be winning this in uh, terms of the 90s weren't great. Dolly Dearest, Ghoulies 3 Ghoulies Go to College. I'll fight a motherfucker over that. Directed by our, our good buddy, John Carl Beekler. Hell Rick yeah, R.I.P. Howling 6, is that Freaks? That That is. And uh, yeah. once we once you've read the list, I have a little okay. story to tell about Howling 6. Necromantic 2, just too hard. Speaking of sexy, Nudist Colony of the Dead. Omen 4, because the 90s were all about keeping it PC with a girl anti-crime. I'm just playing. <laughs> People Under the Stairs, fucking masterpiece. Stuart Gordon's Pit and the Pendulum, solid movie, fun. I agree. Popcorn, Love way it. underrated, Love great it. movie. Puppet Master 3, Scanners 2, Silence of the Motherfucking Lambs. I already know what the number one's going to be. <laughs> Sometimes they come back. I really, as far as Stephen King adaptation goes, I... It gives me a weird, cozy, warm feeling. I Directed love it. by Tom McLaughlin, who did Friday the 13th Part 6. Subspecies. Uh, the first movie in a franchise, I never understood why there were so many. I didn't hate it. I don't hate it. There's a shit ton of those movies, and Full Moon's good for cranking out movies. Uh, but I think this year, the new one comes out. It's Jesus like Christ. Species or Subspecies Subspe- 5. 
That's only five? I thought there were more. Uh, this I'm, may be six. Okay. The Unborn. I don't have I can't. I, I know I've seen it, but it's, it's, a, it's a fine movie. It's fine. All right, real quick, before uh, before we discuss the top five of 1991, I have to tell a quick story about Howling 6. So, I was still living with my parents. This is like, uh, I'm, I don't know, probably like 18 years old, right right before, I gra- like the year before I graduated. No, no, I would have been 17. It was, I was 17. And I got the flu, and it's Christmas. And for Christmas... My parents uh, had went to this video store that had gone out of business. They're going out of business having yeah. a fire sale. And for Christmas, they bought me like, I mean, like a hundred VHSs because they could get That's them just That's fucking like, awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> Best Christmas ever. It was fucking fantastic. However, I was, I was bedridden with the flu and I'm having like convulsions because I'm like, you know, like really, really yeah. fucking into it to the point where like I can't move until my body decides to. <laughs> and... <laughs> I was watching Howling 6 on VHS, and I'm so fucked up on uh, medicine and, like, just feeling like shit. And the only thing I could think is, like, man, I'm going to die, and the last thing I'm going to see is Howling 6. <laughs> it was so, fu- it was so fucking mad. It was so fucking sad. And, um, thankfully, um, I've lived co- to continue on, and now, you know, it'll probably be something stupid, you know, you know, like Caroline in the City rerun or some shit. But it was it's almost gonna Howling the, 6. It's going to be the new uh, sequel series to Sex in the City, like another it's on HBO Max I, now. I, don't, don't watch I will, it. I will avoid that at all Avoid at all it, yes. Costs. I'll stick with Peacemaker. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's great. All right. So, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump jump the line. You you knew the number one. It's Silence of the Silence Lambs. Silence of the Lambs, but yeah. But do you think Freddy's Dead is in the top five? I think it's top five. If you're only counting horror movies, not movies of the year. But yeah, top five horror movies. It's definitely in there somewhere. All right. Number five. Child's Play 3 with $20,560,255. Surprising that that movie made as much money as it did. I mean, it still had that. This was back. I mean, it's the 90s, but it's just barely. So name recognition on a horror movie franchise. You're going to get people to go on a date. Hey, it's something to do. Arguably... Uh, you know the the worst film in it's the series. Argument. It's definitely the worst film in the series. Uh, they, some people would argue with that, but I think it's the worst film in the series. Now, coming at number four, People Under the Stairs with thirty one million three hundred forty seven thousand one hundred fifty four dollars. Number three, Freddy's Dead thirty four million eight hundred seventy two thousand and thirty three dollars. Number two, The Cape Fear remake with one hundred eighty two thousand two hundred ninety one nine hundred sixty nine dollars. One hundred eighty some million. You said that. Okay, well you know what I mean. Yeah, I knew Cape Fear and Silence of the Lambs are going to blow those movies. Silence of the Lambs two hundred and seventy two million in nineteen ninety one seven hundred and forty two thousand nine hundred and twenty two dollars. That's, that's not marble ad- money. That's not adjusted for inflation. That's how much money it made in nineteen ninety one. This thing was a global sensation. I mean, you got to give it up. It's the first movie I ever remember Usher's standing at the door to at the mall theater to make sure under. I mean, I totally did, but uh, I think I had to miss a preview to do it. They, once the preview started, they left, and I just went over, had my little fucking mind blown because I, I was probably ten is too, ten's too young for Silence Lambs, not because of the content, because yeah, it is, but not for me. But like, I didn't understand what a, a rich, well acted great horror movie I was watching. It's, a, it's certainly a movie that you have to... It's a movie uh, for adults. Well, it's. A, I think it's a movie that a kid kid could probably enjoy. enjoy oh, I did. But it's not, a, it's not a movie they'll fully understand. Yeah. A lot of nuance to it. Jonathan Demme, terrific director. Jonathan Demme, make some more m- fucking movies. 
God, how old is he now? Let the man rest. God damn it. He needs to do like David Cronenberg did and have one of his kids he punked out start directing. Cause that, <laughs> that's true. Uh, also, uh, David Lynch, his daughter, uh, Jennifer Lynch, she's made a couple of movies. Like, no. let's, let's, let's raise your kids right. Yeah, I agree. Make, make some more fucked up movies. All right. After the disappointing reception of The Dream Child, New Line Cinema found themselves at a crossroads with the future of Freddy Krueger prompting a new direction for the series. So let's take a trip back to the beginning of the 1990s, my least favorite decade, to discover how we ended up with this polarizing sixth entry of the Nightmare on Elm Street film series. So let's go. From page to screen. Now, The Road to Freddy's Dead it would be a rocky one, um, but there was a fresh face at New Line who was willing to take a stab, pun intended, ah. at writing a new chapter for Freddy Krueger. Um, former vice president of New Line Cinema, Mark Ordesky, had this to say. There was always multiple drafts going, and I'd been a big, big fan of a young New Zealand filmmaker by the name of Peter Jackson, and I'd been talking to him for a while now, and I made the case, Peter and his writing partner wrote a script. And yes, the Peter Jackson, as in the Academy Award winning director. I accidentally brought this up in our Freddy vs. Jason thing, because I knew the story, but I applied it to the many scripts that Freddy vs. Jason had. But yeah, I'm familiar. I Every night before I go to sleep, man, I wish this movie existed. <laughs> Mark continues to say, His conception, Freddy was tired, decrepit figure. No one takes him seriously anymore. In fact, the ultimate insult, kids would put themselves to sleep with laughing gas or sleeping pills and go kick him and beat him clockwork orange style. That was the kids of Elm Street who would do because he's such a joke. At one point, Freddy manages to kill one of these kids just enough to get some energy back. And there's a cop who gets caught in a, in a fire and ends up in a coma, and because he's in a coma, he's permanently in Freddy's world. So, question number one. Would this have been a better direction to go in than Freddy's dead? Yes, 100%. Like, no qualifications. It's much fun and nostalgic love I have for this movie. Yes! I'm going to say no with a caveat. And this is why I'm going to say no with a caveat. I know Robert England is not young anymore. But neither is Tony Todd, and we got a new Candyman film, which was fairly decent. Yeah. Fairly decent. And I think if they took this script and had an old, beat-up Freddy, played by Robert England, who's a joke... Then when he gets zhuzhed up, Kevin Bacon can take him? Oh, they... Well, they he can... You can have him... You know, I'm I'm too weak. I've yeah. got to get a new. You know, I put my con. You know, put you, his consciousness in a new body. And you have spirit. well, you know what I mean. Yeah, they, they could make this work. That's that's my. That's that your no with a caveat is you want to see this now. I still want to see it. I pray every night. I pray <laughs> to Lemmy. I'm like, please let them make this. Do you, but do you think that Peter Jackson? I mean, he's had so much. There's success. no fucking way he do anything like this. I I I don't know. I think he and I love him and I I haven't seen that uh, Nightmare Alley, but I've seen the original and read the book. Heard is pretty faithful. I wait. I'm not sure about the book. I know I've seen the original noir movie. Um, I think he's a little bit up his own ass. I think. Right before, if, if Kong would have fallen through, he'd be like, fuck yeah, I'll do Nightmare on Elm Street. I think, I think if, if they, if they presented him, presented him the idea of like, listen, 
You've made a bunch of really respectable movies. Do something fun. I think he would do it. Maybe. I think he'd be more likely to do his own thing, but maybe. I mean, this is his thing, though. Well, I'm just saying, like, his own IP. It's not his IP. I mean, you're you're, you're right that he might be, but I'm saying... Look, I'd suck a dick in front of my wife (laughs) to make this happen. To completion... Wherever he wanted. All right, Peter Jackson, where <laughs> you at? Do you want to get your dick sucked? I'll do that out of respect. <laughs> Dead Alive is one of the best fucking Gonzo horror movies ever made. And we love or- bad taste and the fucking oh. Frighteners. Just yes. think that this guy could make a fantastic <laughs> Freddy Krueger film. He's won Oscars. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what the, the franchise needs. It's an, an Oscar winning number. <laughs> I think I might die of a stroke. Uh, the brass at New Line weren't sold on Jackson's script, um, and internal enthusiasm for Freddy was an all-time low. Uh, New Line ha- head honcho Robert Shea had this to say, Frankly, with everything in the world going on, it's time to move on. I mean, we were ru- we were truly running out of good ideas. Yeah, the, the 90s is what ushered in the rise of the house party era of New Line, because that's... Like, the first one came out in, I think, 88, 89, but yeah. through the 90s is when the sequels have. So, he was all about the house party, but I'll say this for Robert Shea. He's made a lot of bad decisions. I don't think his decision at this point to do a, hey, let's kill him off, make make that last bit of bank, suck this teat dry, was a bad one. Fair enough. At the time that Peter Jackson was writing his script, future president of New Line, Mike DeLuca, along with Nightmare on Elm Street producer Rachel Talley, were writing their own draft, and somewhere along the lines, the decision was made to kill off Freddy. Uh, Executive producer Sarah Risher had this to say, The only way to revive it after Part 5 hadn't been as successful is to make sure that everybody knew this was the last nightmare. So it'll be the end of Freddy. We'll kill off Freddy, and that's the end. Okay. Now we've sort of indicated that Part 5 is probably the the least of the original series. (sighs) Yes. And I know that uh, it, it did fairly well mostly off of the you know the reception of, yeah, of part four it's always sort of a, a domino effect but do you think it was a good idea idea to kill off Freddy at that point in time yes because we're with the exception of child's play which has been a fairly continuous we've not killed these motherfuckers off yet franchise they all even Friday the 13th did it back with part four. And that kind of reinvigorated the series. Four or six, you know, they're arguably the best. At this point in time, the direction New Line was going, it's becoming the 90s. The 80s horror wave has definitely fallen. Get that um, enthusiasm. Like, well, this is the end. We have to go see it. It's the last one. It's a smart financial decision. How they I'm not going to disagree exec- with you. How they executed it? No. But I do want to say this, and I'm glad. How do you say her last name? Rachel... Rachel Talalay? Talalay, because I only ever read it, so Talalay is what I hear. Talalay is the only person, aside from Robert England, who has had some part in making every single one of the Nightmare movies on set. And so I'm glad they did let her direct She started out as a production manager. Yeah, on one, and got to direct the final one. So good on her. The direction's not the worst. We're definitely going to be talking about Rachel. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um... 
On September 12th, 1991, which was the day before the release of Freddy's Dead, Los Angeles declared it Freddy Krueger Day and held a public funeral for the supernatural slasher that was attended by current and former cast members. That would have been... That's good PR, man. It would have been the greatest thing Yeah, I mean, that got them more mainstream news and publicity probably than, you know, advertisements on television and stuff. But that would have been the coolest thing to go to. The whole time this was in production, like every every Fangoria issue I saw that had something, I begged my dad to buy me. And he hated it because I think it cost three ninety nine or four ninety nine, which is ridiculous for a magazine back then. But I didn't ask for a lot of shit as a kid, so he would get it. I'm pretty sure it was three ninety nine. Three ninety nine ninety one. So $3.99, I could buy an actual not paperback novel back then. I wanted this magazine, but again, I didn't ask for a lot, but yeah. when I asked, I was in, so he got that, and then they had the standalone fucking whole retrospective magazine thing. I hadn't had none of these things. I was 10. I read through them till they fell apart. I still have quite a few of my fangos, and um, I I hate myself of my middle school <clears throat> years because I cut pictures out of them to, to put into my Trapper Keeper. Hey, man, that's 90s cool. You got to do it. So the more reason to hate the 90s. <laughs> So that brings us to the film at hand. Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read the synopsis. I'm a blank fucking page in here. That's really all the story. <laughs> Freddy's dead, and that's the movie. <laughs> the, um, they gave us a uh, free uh, extra page. There we go. Just when you thought it was safe to go to sleep, Freddy Krueger, Robert England, is back to haunt your dreams. Lisa Zane from Bad Influence is a child psychologist tormented by reoccurring nightmares. But not until she meets a new patient with the same horrific dreams does her quest for answers lead to a certain house on Elm Street where an evil that defies the grave is about to be unleashed upon the world with Yafit Koda, TV's homicide, and alien. Live and Let Die is what you put in parentheses. Goddamn right. <laughs> yeah. He's Mr. Big. He, exactly. he explodes. He gets he gets blown up fucking Austin Powers style. They use homicide and alien. <laughs> and cameos by Roseanne and Tom Arnold, Alice Cooper, Johnny Depp. This chapter in the world's most terrifying dream saga is a fantastic voyage. Man, I want to see that movie. That movie sounds great. I mean, all the things on that page technically happen, but... With the principal players in place for Freddy's Dead, it would move on into production, and a familiar face would helm the final nightmare. Freddy's Dead was written and directed by Rachel Talley. Now, she also directed a film that I absolutely loved as a kid because of that smoking hot piece of ass named Lori Petty. She directed Tank Girl. Oh, I didn't know she did that. I, the, only, the only reason I knew that she directed this in that magazine, she had an interview about how she'd been on the set of every one of them, but her and Robert England are the only people that were involved in every movie, and she was real glad. I didn't. Tank Girl... Uh, Lori Petty. Yeah. Mm. And, um, fuck, the plane, she's in, uh, the other chick in the movie, the brunette with glasses. Crime masturbation scene in Mulholland Drive. Oh, fuck, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not Naomi Watts. <laughs> yeah, the not Naomi Watts. Oh, that's some good stuff. Thank oh. you, David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she also directed Ghost of the Machine and No Not... Ghost of the Machine, the the anime. Um, it's just a forgettable '90s horror. It's 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 fine. Yeah. Um, she did a ton of TV: Boston Public, Ally McBeal, Crossing Jordan, Supernatural, The Dead Zone, Doctor Who, Doom Patrol, which we both really like. Yeah. 
and uh, most recently The Flash, among you know many, many others. All those projects aside, it's fair to say that Rachel is best known for producing several Nightmare on Elm Street films, including Part 3, the most... Uh, the best. Critically successful, and part four, the most commercially successful, and with every entry, <clears throat> she was given more and more to do. Now her sights were set on becoming the first and only female director of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Rachel had this to say about taking the directing reins. When Nightmare 6 came up, I basically said, would you allow me to direct it? You've given me these promotions every time, and they've expected me to come back and produce it. So... Uh, reportedly, Rachel was really well liked and, by the cast, and you know, chief among them was the star of the movie Robert England. But I mean, you kind of put it, you know, in perfect perspective. I mean, she's been there since the very b- beginning. Yeah. And the cool thing about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the being sort of the flag bearer of, you know, it's the new line was the house that Freddie built, and I think. It was sort of the seed of that idea of them making movies was sort of built upon, let's do low-budget movies, but let's allow the creative people to be creative. Exactly. And they did a lot of this in-house. So I, I kind of have to commend them for, for promoting within. Hell yeah. Um, uh, Rachel had this to say. I was real... Oh, I'm sorry, um... Robert England had this to say about Rachel taking over the directing job. I was happy to do it because of Rachel. Rachel was getting to direct. I go way back to uh, the Roger Corman days with Rachel. So she, he and her worked together before the first Nightmare movie. Damn. So they, their friendship goes, you know, back, you know, probably to like the late seventies. So that's, that's pretty damn cool. Hell Yeah. Uh, as well liked as Rachel was, uh, unfortunately, she is responsible for some aspects of the film that are divisive among fans. Now, hey, you know, you got to give her love because she was heavily inspired by Twin Peaks, and you know, well, we're definitely oh, going to talk okay. about. Okay, I'll, I'll the, pump the brakes on that. Let's just go down the list, and we'll discuss you know pros and cons of these things. All right, number one, Rachel is the one responsible for the title change. She had this to say. I said we shouldn't call it Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6. We should call it Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which everyone loved. Okay, title change good, title change bad. Title change good. and Not not that I care either way, but I see how it makes good business sense. You don't new mate, you don't put a number on it because you wanted them to know. And still technically, I mean, you can we can argue about Freddy versus Jason. This is the end. I, I like the change. I have conflicting feelings about it. When they, when they, anytime a series that has been willing to number them up to five, it's like, why not just number it to six? Now, you made valid points. I'm not discrediting yeah. this, but I get the feeling that, like, they're embarrassed that they made so many movies. Like, that is honestly another good way to get, like, just normal normies off the street. Oh, we'll go check this out. It's the last one. Lord, they made a million of those. Without actually having to put a number on it. Again, it's it's the experience. Do you do you think that I, mean, I think there was a small there was a probably a ten percent ten to fifteen percent boost of people who would not have seen a Nightmare on Elm Street movie going to see it solely because of the end, and I think the gimmick with the end, well I'm sure we'll discuss that. Probably add another ten percent. About twenty five percent of the audience. I was more. actually going to uh, kind of curious about the other the other end of it that people know this franchise as a Nightmare on Elm Street. 
had I I guess from your perspective, Freddie had Freddie transcended, he transcended the, the name. Street name. Yeah, Freddie is the they should like it should be. Freddy Krueger above the title card of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, Robert England and Freddy surpass a Nightmare. They always call, even as a little kid, I remember, oh, did you see a new Freddy movie? Or there's a Freddy you're, movie. You're not so wrong. Again. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right, number two. There are a ton of parallels to previous films. And I'll just go down the list. Okay. Spencer, Carlos, and Tracy drive the van around, <clears throat> but the sequence keeps repeating, which is a reference to what happens to Alice and Dan in The Dream Master. Doc pulls a piece of Freddy, uh, his sweater out of a dream, which is a reference to the original film. John Doe sleepwalks and climbs stairs that aren't there in the real world, which is a callback to Philip and Dream Warriors. Um... Freddy cuts his fingers off, just like he does in the first film. So, there are others, but those are the those are the major ones. Are these loving homages to the previous films, or is this just lazy writing? Okay, I think the sequence repeating the Van Loss thing was just, again, part of her obsession with the weird uh, genre leakage by david lynch i don't think that was directly from dan i don't think they wanted to reference five the thing no, that's, cutting that's, off no, that's, that's from four uh four yeah oh, yeah, 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 dan yeah, gets yeah, killed yeah. at the beginning of part yeah five. dan gets killed at the beginning okay well i still i don't think that was directly i think that was ooh, we're gonna do weird stuff like twin peaks all the other ones i think you're dead on the money but i love the finger cutting off scene I don't think it's lazy writing. I think I think they were loving callbacks. This is the final send off. Was it done well? No. Was it done? Yes. <laughs> Did I enjoy it? Do I still to this day? I watched it this week. Still had a blast. Warts and all. Yeah. Uh, I when I rewatched this film, I I ended up having sort of a mixed reaction because I kind of hit both both fucking ends of the spectrum at different points of the movie because there were moments I'm like man this is this is really good and there are other moments like fuck I I kind of want to turn it off but I I mean we'll keep discussing uh, and we'll come back to that number 3 it was her idea to shoot the fi- the finale of the film in 3D. Uh, executive producer Sarah Risher had this to say about the inclusion of 3D. The 3D element, again, was a gimmick that we thought could revive the series. All right. 3D finale. Desperate gimmick or a fun gimmick? It's a fun gimmick. I liked it, and it worked, too. I, like, again, like I, I think it brought in a good 10% of people who would, wouldn't have gone to see it. 10% of that audience... We're probably fans who'd given up after five or just, you know, casual horror fans. Like, oh, shit, you know, you don't, at that point in time, this is before the 3D boom of the early 2000s where everything was in 3D. There was nothing There was at nothing. That time. Yeah, this, this was isolated incident. There's, I had never seen a movie in 3D until the next year when I went to Roanoke Island, saw Friday the 13th God Part 3 and Jaws 3. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Like, this shit didn't happen. So, I mean, you, we get, everybody got a fucking souvenir. I had that shit for, like, until I was, like, 22. I don't know what happened to it after that. I hit you for not having I it. I know. Do you have yours? I do, but they're in my parents' attic. Oh. Under, like, 20 years of shit. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I need to dig them out and fucking sell those. Fucking retire. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Well, the big, the big, three D is. Did it help the story? No. Does it make watching it now way worse? Yes. Do you... waving the bat at the screen, all the gimmicky shit. It makes a rewatch experience not in three D miserable. I I have not seen the Blu Ray version. I don't know if it. I don't know if it's even in a three. They have a three D Blu Ray version, but the uh, standard def DVD. Blu-ray, no, standard def, fuck, the standard yeah. definition DVD 3D edition sucks. It yeah. is so not good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not good. Do you think that they fucked up by not just, if you're going to do 3D, why not just do the entire movie in 3D? I know that like there is a legitimate, they, they try There's to There's a story reason. It. I get your take, too, and I do think some of the reason was like, well, we want home video sales to be up. If we did the whole movie, we're going to do the whole movie gimmicky. It's going to hurt our sales. If we do the last 10 minutes, roughly. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I had not considered that. That's why you're here. Exactly. To, to, to give, Big to brain give, time. To give, Freddy's my baby. Uh, the reaction of the 3D within the cast and crew were mixed, but Rachel had this to say about it. The, this idea of doing the last 10 minutes in 3D, which was a tremendously complex technology at that point, we actually did some groundbreaking work at that point on the technology, but a lot of it didn't work. So that may be the answer. Maybe uh, it was just more feasible to shoot the finale. Yeah, I mean, yeah, God, I, I think, you know, New Line always knew how to, like, save a buck. So, doing again, doing the whole movie. But I think the whole movie being cost prohibitive was the main reason, but I think my reason with the home video and rewatch... I think that's, I mean, it's kind of incredible though, that New Line even let them make a 3D again, movie at all. They were over Freddy, but again, I think Robert Shea has always had kind of a respect for what fucking Freddy did. He fucking should. Yeah, he should. He his fucking he pockets He should get like a real doll male version of Freddy and suck it off to completion, have like a little pump with like, you know... Hollandaise sauce shoot, in it, it or something. It shoots dream demons. It shoots dream demons. Oh my god! Yeah, he's got that kind of money. He can make it happen. But I'm yeah. So I think that's why they went the extra mile a little bit. They knew the gimmick would pay for itself. Okay, um, number four. It was her decision to take the film in a more comedic route. Rachel's decision to go this way has brought uh, was brought about because of a pop culture television phenomenon going on at the time. <laughs> she had this to say, it was just after Twin Peaks came out, so there was a huge influence of Twin Peaks in it, which is why I went uh, I, I went towards humor, quirky humor, more than horror. Okay, Twin Peaks, a, a monumental shift in television at that point, yeah. and it's very much its own thing. Replicating that kind of quirkiness is, is not an easy task. And I'm not thro throwing shade at Rachel, who I think is a perfectly fine director, but she's not David Lynch. And, and all the little... Uh, Twin Peaks little touches. Those always just stand out as separate from the functional A to B movie of the kids. It's like the teacher in the classroom and the orphanage leader and Tom and Roseanne. Like the stuff you know is just, she's like, yeah, this is just Twin. Like it's, it feels like you're watching scenes from a different movie. Yeah, there, there are moments that feel like it was made by a completely different director in the film. And, I, I know. Well, we'll get to... 1494, Freddy came back looking for more. You know, it's just... Come on, man. 
It, it would have been great to have the log lady just be walking through the carnival. I mean, that would have been fun. I mean, no, they, they, log lady with log. I mean, shit. And they, left they, it at that. They could have fucking got her. I'm yeah. just saying, they could have got her. You could have fucking got her. Of all the cameos. <laughs> you got Alice Cooper, man. Okay. Uh, for me, the moment that the Twin Peaks vibe really works in Freddy's Dead is the carnival scene. And oddly enough, Spencer even mentions Twin Peaks like deliberately. Yeah. Um, so that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, we got to talk about this carnival scene. Th- this is the moment where the time frame, which is going to be... The near future. Uh, it, it says near future. Well, true. But if we're putting this movie in continuity with... Freddy versus Jason. We don't. We can't. It doesn't make any fucking sense. That means there was a good 10-year time period in the 90s where every child was dead and every adult was insane. I mean, maybe that's why they went to such extreme measures to silence uh, the kid from Freddy versus Jason See, and all that. that I, I've, I've always said, and I think I even brought this up in the Freddy versus Jason uh, retrospective we did, I think it makes more sense to put Freddy versus Jason before Freddy's dead if you want exactly. it to make any that's sense. Later. Because that's the only way that this this ending makes any sense of like the town the being so fucked up and like it is mildly dystopian because the orphanage and children's center she works for is pipe bombs and all that shit. <laughs> that's and not it's spring. Like a, that's not spring. I know. I'm saying society has fallen so much. That's why, like, the, all the cars are old because they can't afford new ones. All the clothes oh my god, are, oh my we, god, we found a way to oh make it fit. I'm, I'm jumping ahead, and, okay. and, just, and I'm going to make this point, and then like we're going to drop this and move Is on. The Tiger Electronic, game? but 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 this this movie is supposed to take place ten years after after. Uh, 1991, which would be 2001. This this is the the fucking universe where after the fucking twin towers fell, that fucking Bush caused World War Three. That's th- this go. is the this, this is, is the, a timeline split. There we go. That's 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 we not that's in. not headcanon. That's canon. That's canon. God damn, <laughs> we did it. Fuck. We solved the we riddle. We fucking did dead. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. This Keep scene. talking. I'm going to do a shot to that. You do fucking do that. So, in this carnival scene, Roseanne and Tom Arnold have cameos, and viewing this back in 2022 eyes, it's sort of strange. It's like, what the fuck sense does this make? But I think you have to put it in perspective that people in now, 90, yeah. you, don't, you don't realize they were... Huge stars. Well, she was the biggest thing on television. She was the biggest thing on television, but they were combined. They were the power cut. They were the J Lo of the nineties. They were the tabloid couple. Oh yeah, of the time. Uh, Robert England had this to say: We wanted it to be chalked full of cameos. We've got Tom and Roseanne, who were like the biggest tabloid couple in the world at the time, and I don't think I got it. Watching it in 1991. I mean, I knew I knew, who, I knew who she was. Yeah. I, I fucking loved Roseanne at that time. <clears throat> yeah. But I didn't realize, like, how big of a get that was. And I think that goes back to the whole point of, like, they're, they're stacking the cards of this movie to try and appeal to, like, every fringe audience. Yeah, they're trying to put every ass in the seats. All they can, I love that they did that. And I knew that they were a tabloid couple because, you know, my, my mom, we'd, we'd watch Entertainment Tonight. 
which, you know, before TMZ was like the nice family friendly version of that, sometimes, you know, with little scandals and then movie stories going through the tabloid aisles at the grocery store. And uh, I like, I knew what a big deal she was. And honestly, I just want to say this the only dramatic moment of that entire movie that works for me to this day is when, like, after Rosanna attacks the T.O., when she's like, I want my children back. Like, that kind of hit me as an adult. I'm like, God damn, that's horrible. Well, I mean, she spent, she spent like, a decade on television playing a mother. So. And then took Ambien, Ambien <laughs> and made horribly racist tweets and blamed it on Ambien. Okay. Hey, the Connors is still a pretty good show. It's uh, the, the the that's that's also from the dystopian timeline. We're in the dystopian timeline where World <laughs> War Three didn't happen, but society rotted from the inside. As infamous as Tom and Roseanne were at the time, they were reportedly not paid a lot to be in the no, film. No, they just basically as a lark. Sean Greenblatt had this to say about them doing the movie. They were obviously weren't doing it for the money or anything else. They were doing it because they were fans of the series and they wanted to be part of the last one. So I have to I have to ask because Freddie had kind of become he by part three like in between three and four like the the the, the term MTV MTV Freddie had become. You know, it was as mainstream as like Ronald McDonald or anything. Through the power of docking. Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy that like, I mean, in terms of television, she uh. was a she was an A list television star. Uh, television wasn't heralded in the same way it is now. But to have a person that was as big as her want to be in a stupid a slasher yeah, that, movie. She was an A-list celebrity, any way you cut it up. She's the biggest thing on television and want to be like, yes, I'll do whatever goopy quick thing. All right. Um, now, based off of the, the things that I've laid out here, and there's, there's going to be a couple others later on, but simply based off what we've discussed... Does Rachel Talley deserve the hate that she gets no, from she people? No, she doesn't deserve the hate she gets... There was never a good way to. By the time this movie, the created, had they just not made a sequel to Part Five for like ten years, they probably could have had something good. But you know, you have to keep up name recognition. You have to keep up branding. We didn't know that now, starting from the early mid aughts to now, we're basically living in a never-ending nostalgia cycle. They had just held off from Part Five to 2007 and popped out a sequel. Then it made a hundred million dollars. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, they had to go for every gimmick. There's no way to do it scary. Might as well, like I was telling you before we recorded, this movie's is Looney Tunes. There's a literal Looney Tune kill. It's my, We'll get to that. We'll it's get, the we'll only... We'll get to it. We'll yes. get to it. We'll get to it. One of the things I really like about the Freddy films is that it seems that they were really hands-off with, you know, the production. And Rachel was giving an opportunity and... Like it or not, she delivered the film that she set out to make. So I know that, like we and we're all these woulda, coulda, shouldas. We're we're huge fans, and it's fun to like sort of dissect something a hundred ways from Sunday to figure out like, well, what would work. But we weren't in the position that she was in, or the executives were in. 
Well, yeah. I, let's, I mean, let's play I fantasy booking. And, like, you can have every great idea in the world, but the, the sheer amount of effort it takes by so many people from, you know, grips and best boys all the way up to the directors, producers, and the people, you know, they're uh, doing advertising. There are so many moving parts to making a movie. It's, it's amazing that anybody can make any kind of movie that makes, A, any sense, and B, you know, is entertaining in the least. So... I can't. I can't rake Rachel over the coals. No. I mean, the movie is memorable. Yeah. And that's certainly yeah. more I can say about five. Yeah. Five looked good in some scenes. Had one good kill by a director who hated the sight of blood, and I'm, that that sticks with me. To that, we'll talk about that when we get. We were part five is going to be a four hour episode. Might wait, be a two part. I can't wait till we do part five because I want to get I want to get audio of Mick just talking about how much he hates Stephen Hopkins. Oh God. Okay. Um, we sort of have a, a interesting predicament in uh, Freddy's Dead where we have a bait and switch in terms of who our main character is. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about our mystery man who is Sean Greenblatt playing the role of John Doe. Uh, he had a little role in a film you may have seen called Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. I have. With Billy Bob Thornton, who was in The Judge, with Robert Duvall, who was in Get Low with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted. Now, reportedly, one of the more difficult tasks in Freddy's Dead was in the casting. Director Tal uh, Rachel Talley had this to say about the casting of Sean. It was very difficult making the choice for Sean Greenblatt. I know we had the most difficulty in casting that part because the part was somebody who doesn't have a memory. Now, from my perspective, this is one of the more compelling aspects of the film, the unfolding of a mystery that ultimately leads him to erroneously believe he's Freddy's son. And we'll tackle the child thing in just a moment, but let's talk about having an amnesiac character. Did they drop the ball and not doing more of the whole mystery aspect of this film? Honestly, you got to keep it to like 90 minutes. I think that part of the, I have no, no notes on the mystery element. The, the opening dream sequence is probably one of my favorite points of the movie. Like the weird thing, the airline, the I'm not getting out of bed, all that. I'll get, except I'll get you my pretty little soul too. <laughs> that was a little too fun. That they was the first they, Looney Tune. They literally played the fucking music <laughs> for the Wizard <laughs> of Oz. But yeah, no, like, and then you know he's at the thing. He's, he's he knows he doesn't want to sleep. I think they they took it as far. And the ultimate conclusion of said mystery. It's my favorite cab. We're gonna get to it. We'll get to it. We'll it's get the to only it. one I'm going to write I'm, really fairly. There's two. I think you could have easily cut out one of the characters in this movie and dedicated that time to to more. You're of, missing the major component of slasher. If this was a Hollywood hybrid, if this was an artsy fartsy movie, yeah, you could. It's a slasher movie. You got to have people to kill. I agree, and. It wouldn't change the amount of people who die in this movie. So oh. my point, my point stays oh, the same. But if you're talking about removing the the aggressive mean chick, you know nah, she's the linchpin. Hey, we'll, we'll talk. We'll okay, talk. We'll, we'll get talk there. About it. Anyway, I have no qualms. Yeah, it would have been cool. I wish the movie would have been like an hour and fifty minutes, a little bit better produced. I wish a lot of things. I wish I had a twelve foot dick and a six pack. That's not going <laughs> to make it true. Twelve foot, twelve inch. I got a I got a six pack in the refrigerator. Ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, I'm just saying, like, I'm not dissatisfied. There's no, st- I'm never going to complain about a story element in a Freddy movie. And I didn't say Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, there's certain, like, the end of part two is the only one I'm really going to fight. Like, that was stupid as shit. Yeah, that's the, that's the, the power of repressing your natural homosexuality. <laughs> that, uh, the homophobia defeated Freddy in that movie. That's the only one I argue they could have they could have workshopped that in there a little better. Yeah, it's it's the only one, and I, I love part two, but it's one like of my favorite episodes we've ever done. It's like, fuck, what? What? Get what? back in the closet, <laughs> Freddy. <laughs> it makes no sense. Um, at one point, the character of John Doe was intended to be Jacob from part five, and that was ultimately dropped for whatever reason. Do you think this would have been a better twist than the whole amnesiac am, uh, angle they did? I think it'd have been. I think it'd have been a neat little twist. But to carry the story through with the bait and switch, it's better you just have it. I don't know that that would have. It probably. Oh, it was. It may not have been. Oh, uh, may point. not have been a bait and switch and carrying it to, through to there. No, it no, may have been, been. I think the idea was that he would have been am, have amnesia, and then throughout the course of the film, you find out that he's he's compelled to go back to there and the reason he has no memory is to to keep him from being a vessel for Freddy. Again, the reason uh, I do think that might have been a little cooler, but they don't want people to think about part 5. I agree. I Except agree. Except the last the last scene and when Freddy's going badass down that hallway, those are the only two shiny moments in that movie. Motorcycle kills okay. The uncut version of The uncut, it. not the not the R-rated standard. Bullshit. God damn it, New That's Line. the only one I remember on VHS they released uncut. I have it on Laserdisc uncut, which is the highest quality version you can get of that footage uncut. I literally have the ripped file <laughs> on my desktop right now, and I cannot find a goddamn person who has a Blu-ray burner to make my goddamn dream come true. I'm sorry, Grandpa, that we live post-physical media now. As I sit in a but room it's dedicated... But it's not fucking available digitally. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem with digital media. I agree. It should exist. Balls in your court, Scream Factory. <laughs> yeah, damn it. Get on that. All right. Um, <laughs> um, the other aspect uh, is that John Doe, throughout the course of the film, believes he is the son of Freddy Krueger. Now, there's so much to unpack there, but first, Sean had this to say about it. You think I'm Freddy's son, and that's a big hook. Freddy has a child. Who was he? How come I'm still alive and all the other kids are dead in Springwood? And using that as a catalyst for the story and for Freddy's character to use me as a catalyst to get out of Springwood to torture or to torment the rest of the world. I got to pause you there. At 10 years old, 91, my birthday's in January 81, I'm like, he's too young to be Freddy's kid. Freddy was killed before he was born. Let's, I'm, we're, yeah. we're, we're, about, we're about to do yeah. some fucking math. <laughs> okay. This tangled web. Fat Tony, I need you to read the prologue to Freddy's Dead. Yes, I was told about this. Prologue. Springwood, Ohio, 10 years from now. Mysterious killings and suicide wipe out entire population of children and teenagers. Remaining adults are experiencing mass psychosis. There is new evidence of one surviving teenager. So, Freddy's Dead was released in 1991. The prologue sets the story 10 years from now, and that's 2001, the year that uh, Bush got the, the World Trade Towers yeah. blown up in World War III in an alternate timeline. Uh, the character of John Doe is 16 or 17. We know this because this place that Maggie works at is a place for underage 
kids, and, yeah. and a lot, of, and, and a couple of them, are, youth. yeah, they're they're worried about turning eighteen, and yeah. or some of them are wanting to turn eighteen so they can get away from the place. So, this would make him born at eighty four, eighty five. The original film was released in eighty four, but it takes place in nineteen eighty one, nineteen eighty one. Year of your birth. Yes. Um, this timeline does not make any sense for him to be Freddy's child. Is this bad, bad plotting, or am I just too sensitive and attentive to continuity? I think, as it turns out, since he's not, I don't think it's bad writing. I think it's a, it was a naive mistake by the character. I don't think it's bad writing because he is not, had they made him... Had this uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D, <laughs> the fucking timeline, like that fucking movie. It's not quite that egregious. Exactly. Since he's not, I don't think it's bad writing because, as we find out, someone older and age-appropriate is. I, I think the the get-out-of-jail card used here is that he's amnesiac. Yeah. So, he... He's trying to find a story. He's, he, he's, he's putting He's putting puzzle pieces together, you know... Without and, knowing the full picture. Exactly. So, I can look past that. It is dumb, but I can look past it. It's dumb because the character's dumb. Teenagers are dumb. <laughs> Even though John Doe ends up not being the main character of the film, he does get several key moments in the film, especially in the beginning on the airplane. That has It has a very is really heightened vibe to it. And uh, this impression, um, it, could not have, it could have been even greater, believe it or not. Um, Sean had this to say. The first scene in the airplane, the beautiful, robust actress to my right was actually a replacement. The original person who was supposed to play that role was the great Divine, who had passed away Aww. right before we started shooting. So... Would Divine have made yes. this movie better? Fuck yes. A million times yes. I think for the tone they're going for, Hell like yeah. I think this would have been the first nod, like, okay, we're, we can't take this movie seriously. Oh, yeah. Just have fun with it, people. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I would have been totally on board for that. Rachel Talley had worked with John Waters on Polyester and was a producer on the film he was making at that moment called Cry Baby. Uh, Sean had this to say about it. A lot of our crew members were John Waters' crew members. Our prop master at the time was married to Tracy Lords. God bless him. Nice. And her fucking prime. It just doesn't get any better than that. Um, nothing related to Freddy's Dead, but there's still a little piece of trivia regarding Sean um, that I couldn't resist putting in my notes. Sean is the father of an actress named Ariana Greenblatt. Now, that name may not uh, bring up a lot of you know, ideas of who she is, but she was a very figurative uh, part of Avengers Infinity War. She played little kid Gamora. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, the his that one movie made more money than any any of the movies combined <laughs> yes. that he's been in. Um, but that's that's kind of all cool, of the movies combined. I, all exactly. of New Look, well, no, you get the rings, but yeah. anyway. But, I mean, that's that's a cool thing that, you know, he, he had a nice little niche, and uh, his daughter's now making waves in Hollywood. Uh, John Doe may not have ended up being the spawn of Freddy, but his offspring was hiding in plain sight. We have Lisa Zane as Maggie Burroughs, a.k.a. Catherine Krueger. Spoiler alert. She can get it. I, <laughs> I'm going to absolutely agree with you. In 1991, oh my fucking god! Hell yes, a beauty, a, a waif, again, thin, doe-eyed little kid mm. in the movies, and like she's pretty. Yeah, 
She does. She does have a bad case of '90s hair, where the part is just perfectly in the middle. I fucking hate that. But she's well, aged. When you're like looking five, down like, on it from the, t- oh, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. I like to see good, clean part. Um, she's like in her sixties now, and oh my god, I would, I would, I'd suck the corn kernels out of her asshole. <laughs> Um, she was uh, Melina Paros in 16 episodes of L.A. Law, Diane Leeds in 10 episodes of E.R., and she had the starring role in 1997's The Nurse, which is a movie I regret ever seeing, and I bought it specifically because she was in it. And Did she get naked? No. Oh, well, fuck. That's why video rental stores, you rent it first. The only reason I bought off the rat before I'd seen it, Vampire's Embrace, was like, it's her first nude scene. Read that. Prozac Nation, Christina Ricci nude for the first time. I knew ahead of time what I was buying. <laughs> it was a horror movie. I thought it would be all right. Eh, she's good in it. She's good in it. Yeah, she's. Um, if the name sounds familiar, as in Zane, uh, she is the sister of Billy Zane, who at this point was fresh off a stint on the second season of Twin Peaks. So there's another little yeah. uh, connection to the series. Uh, the cast and crew were all extremely complimentary of the of. Lisa in the role of Maggie. Director uh, Rachel Talley had this to say about Lisa being cast. Lisa Zane, I really liked her for the part because she had this sort of waif-thin feel. You feel like she was something quite lost. She would throw you off track. You'd never believe that she was Freddie's daughter in some way. Now, one of the things I've come to appreciate about the film with this most recent viewing is that the character of Maggie is a counselor for troubled teens. Lisa had this to say about her character. She was somehow innerly compelled to protect children, not knowing what her secret was yet. This I've is actually never the, even thought of that. Like this, this is probably two years, one years later. I've never. This thought is of that. this is probably the smartest thing about this script, and it's the most underplayed. I feel yeah. like you you gave you made a it, child murderer's child a, a child, child protector. protector. Why, like I said. 30 fucking years later, like 31. Yeah. I've never drew that, drawn that conclusion. How, I mean, do you do you think that they dropped the ball and not, like, highlighting this more? I mean, honestly, no. From the feeling, that nice feeling I get now, just no. One of the Every things, smart movie thing doesn't have to be pointed out. And it's one, my fault for dropping that ball. One of the things that, uh... <sighs> unfortunate is that like you know movies end up they the movies start out one thing and they end up as something else there is a work print of freddy's dead i own it the film is super degraded it's you know there are parts of it that are just yeah. about unwatchable but one of the things that they do in that version of the film is they give maggie a lot more to do and they really highlight her trying to help these kids and i think that stuff Albeit less fun than you know, you know, fucking with a kid in a hearing aid and yeah. some of the shit that's going to happen later on in the film. I think some of that stuff would have helped really make her character feel more important. But you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, the father-daughter dynamic is a polarizing one in Freddy's Dead, but unlike John Doe, at least age-wise. Maggie could have been Freddie's yeah. daughter, uh, being that Lisa was born in 1961. What do you think about the father-daughter dynamic between the two? I like that, and I do like that, like, I mean, it's creepy, and Lord knows how her life would have turned out, and definitely getting taken was the right move. 
But I do like that there's a little bit of, like, what Freddy feels is righteous indignation. They took you from me, so I'm going to take that. I mean, he's all a sociopath. He only cares about himself. Yeah. Uh, but I do kind of like that element. And then, you know, and it, he shows his true colors at the end when he's not like, oh, I'm reunited and I love you. So like, no, I'm fucking out. Every town has an Elm Street. I'm killing all these kids. And let's be real, it's never stayed in the movie. I'm a pervert, too, so yay. No, it's like, but I do kind of no, like his. No, he, he's absolutely a pervert, and I can prove it with this film because the little girl version of Lisa is wearing, has pigtails and a fucking, you know, baby doll dress. What? And what happens when she ends up in the fucking dream world? She's wearing the same goddamn That's dress. That's how he visualized. I never, that I'm is, not, I'm That not is gonna, a masturbatory fantasy. One of my favorite disturbing moments of the remake was when Freddy's like, this was always my... I don't get that vibe. That's how he remembers his daughter. She was taken. He's crazy. He just now knows he, he has another reason he can All right. kill. Well, we have a question from our fans later on, and I'm going to take that viewpoint to task. So, I think that, I think that. had she grown up a little bit longer, it would have been a horrible nightmare. I think at the time... You know, because as we've seen from the movies, Freddy, the, the teenagers and stuff, it would have, it was great she was taken, but at that moment in her life, no. It was Maggie who is responsible, per this movie, for Freddy getting caught because she told on yeah. him. Yeah. I think that right there is the, it's, it, there, there is a part of this movie. And I don't know if it was intentional or if I'm just getting vibes from it. There's a point in this movie where the dialogue back and forth between them is very much like Luke and Vader. And <laughs> I, I, I'm serious. I got that fucking vibe. But, That's because uh, you're a fucking nerd. I am a fucking nerd. <laughs> but it's quite... It's not... I mean, Return of the Jedi is not a great movie, but... The um, Ewoks are the best part of the whole God original trilogy. God like, damn, you get the fuck out of I know of how to trigger them, <laughs> Snowflake. But uh, this this element really worked for me in terms of their dynamic. Yeah, and I wish I they, that. I wish, I wish there was just more of it. Uh, regardless of what we may think, one person who was very happy with the dynamic was Robert England. He had this to say, I think all the father-daughter stuff is nasty and cool, and nobody could come up with that but Rachel. Robert again doubles down on the respect for Rachel Talley, but he also has been very complimentary to Lisa's performance in Freddy's Dead. He had this to say, we've got class actors in there like Lisa Zane giving it gravitas. You can't keep your eyes off her. Uh, you can't keep your eyes off off her on set. I think that he means keep her eyes on her. I am i don't know. I'm Can't keep your eyes off her. You gotta keep watching. Does that make sense? Her, okay. Yeah. Alright, so I, I apologize, Robert, for... Uh, he come to your house tonight and smack <laughs> you in the mouth. I would love for Robert England to come to my house. Just don't come in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's like a cat. She's so feline. Um... It's, it's it's just nice that like everybody got along. It just seemed like the set was just a, a very cordial, you know, cordial place. Uh, the narrative device that sees Maggie get into Freddy's psyche is uh, Doc's dream meditation technique and a pair of 3D glasses. The 3D is what makes uh, Maggie you know, inside of Freddy's head, you know, soaring through his neurons. It's it's really visually interesting. 
even without the 3D. I mean, it's it's a time in like movies that just will never exist again because it's all like claymation and like you know miniature. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's not it's not. I mean, they, there is CGI in the movie. Yeah. Very very early, really fucking bad CGI. Yeah. But um, what do you what do you think about this whole trip inside Freddy's that head? That whole scene. Okay, first as a ten year old, I'm like blown the fuck away, mind blown. It's amazing. It's everything I wanted. Uh, then you know, go to the little corridors, the little zaps, and his little memory flashbacks. To me, this is the this is the part of the movie that feels most like the films that came before it, without being so self referential. Yeah, I could see that because, because it, like, I mean, it's a very interesting idea of a physical. It's a hallway of doors. That's a very Nightmare on Elm Street idea yeah. to visualize something so abstract about going into someone's memories. I, I dig it. I really dig it. Um, Lisa had this to say about the sequence. In the original script, there was this sequence that was described as Mr. Toad's wild ride through his psyche, and that sounded wild. And yeah. I think they, uh, I think they accomplished that end of the uh, no no end of the the thing. Uh, we'll talk about Maggie delivering the final blow to Freddy when we get to our victim section. Section, uh, spoiler alert. But first, we need got to talk about our female protagonist. We have Leslie Dean as Tracy. Uh, she was also in Nine Seven Six Evil, the first one, which was directed by Robert England. She was in a film called Girlfriend from Hell, which I absolutely have to find. Sounds good. It's it's a late eighties, early nineties horror film. I'm sure it's good and fucking cheesy. Um, she was also in an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. So you know her you her lineage is uh, is put in place. She the former Dallas Cowboys cheerleader has the distinction of being one of the few in the history of the film series to survive her encounter with Freddy. So, but it scarred her so much, as you could definitely tell if you... Were, were, okay. Well, well, hold, hold, <laughs> okay. Off, hold off. Hold off on that. Great minds think a lot. I'm skipping ahead for him. Um, should the character of Tracy have been killed? No. Why? No, why, she why, earned why? it. Her fucked up past. Okay, I don't like that um, Beautiful and Bad from Part 3. I'm kind of blanking. Taryn. 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 She got done dirty. And I like that the spirit of Taryn lives on in her, had a rough life, had seen some shit, the creepy fucking actor that plays her dad. No, I love that she survives. I like, and also that there is a child, she's the only one. So Maggie does fulfill her duty. She saves at least one of the fucking kids. You made, you made the only point that, that makes any sense. It. Yeah, that what finally. Now, now when we come down the line to another character I'm going to ask the same fucking question and you better have the opposite fucking answer. Alright. Because... We're talking about the video game. We all got some statements. No, there's another character oh. who survives who, oh. who, like, you have too many survivors in this movie. That's my that's my point. Okay. Um, with, with the kill count being low, you would think uh, her or Doc would have been dead meat, but maybe the intention was to do more damage to Freddy than to the cast. That being said, let's break down Tracy's multiple encounters with Freddy. So encounter number one, while trying to rescue Spencer, who is off in video game land, she uses her meditation technique uh, to fall asleep you know, instantly um, that she was learned. Uh, she learned by Doc to enter the dream world. Uh, when she c- confronts Freddy, she kicks him square in the nuts. Is kick is kicking Freddy in the nuts going too far? No, fuck yeah! I'm glad somebody finally thought of it. 
It's funny. Uh, it's for the comedic tone of this movie. Had it been in like part three, maybe. It's a dumb joke. To, this, to your point, it does make me laugh every time. So that's a, that's a check in the column for the comedic elements of Freddy's Dead. But I have to say, they didn't do Freddy a lot of justice in terms of making him feel like a threat in this movie. So when he does eventually get killed, spoiler alert, one more time. Again, there's just spoiler. The movie's called Freddy's Dead. <laughs> you don't have to say that. <laughs> but it, it just it, it feels a little anticlimactic. So I wish that they'd protected Freddy a little bit towards the end to the film. But you're right. It is funny seeing him get kicked in the nuts. I just I if if you're gonna do it, I guess it's this movie. Yeah. Okay. Encounter number two. After escaping Springwood, Tracy once again finds herself in the dream world. Tracy is in a bathroom where someone has awesomely written Sepultura above Hell the sink. Yeah. She looks up to see that the reflection in the mirror is not the bathroom any longer. It's her childhood home. Her father gets quote unquote rapey by asking her to quote unquote give daddy some honey that's honestly an uncomfortable scene <laughs> that actor by the way is i i should have looked his name up but he uh he's in a lot of he's always a rapey kind of yes he's in like sorority house massacre two or part one i can't remember which but he's in one of those movies and he basically plays the exact same yeah. fucking character um she takes a percolator, which for for fucking kids, they're gonna have no idea what that is. Yeah. Back in the day, yeah. people made coffee on a stove, and it's so much better. We didn't have Keurigs back then. Uh, she takes a percolator, she wraps around her head, and she beats the fuck out of his face, uh, her father's face, quote unquote, until it looks like chewed up bubble gum. It, it's yeah. a it's a great fucking facial appliance. Her father morphs into Freddy. But uh, she uh, retains, uh, she retaliates with some martial arts kicks. And Freddy uh, backhands her and quips, Kung Fu this bitch. That's a great one. When, and I also like that your dream, but my rules. And his like hand. Yeah. It's uh, like a fucking blender blade. Yeah. Um, you got to have a good bitch in any Freddy movie, and this is probably the most standout one. And, and just all the, the uncomfortableness of that scene at the time. I'm not stupid. I was telling like, oh, God, that's why she's there. Uh, not knowing, again, all the mechanics necessarily, but the overall thing. Again, that's my, she should have survived. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, they tussle about for a bit um, to get out of the dream world. She holds her... A wrist over the burners yep. and um, she wakes up and she has you know minor burns and wraps them up and that's the end of that element of the story yep. but but um, so uh, the character of Tracy she wouldn't die in her fight but with uh, the actress uh, Le uh, Leslie would get hurt um, she had this oh. to say about it uh, we were doing the fight scene and he went back to hit me with the glove and he actually hit me I had to go to the hospital get stitches uh, get a tetanus shot so I have a scar that scar on me I get to look out every day in the mirror and be reminded of Robert England oddly enough this fictitious scene that resulted in real scars opened up some very real memories and this is where, if you've got a fucking, uh, if you've got a beer, crack it open, because this is about to get fucking sad. Yep. Um, Le Leslie had this to say. 
It was really interesting when I shot the scene with my father. I thought to myself, this scene is coming really easy to me. I don't have to go prepare for it or anything. That's cool, in a way, because it really wasn't hard. And maybe after three weeks, I started to get flashes of being molested. It was weird how it just sort of pulled the scar back. The scene changed my life. It sent me on a journey in life uh, dealing with things and dealing with my own fears that was so very poignant. That's some fucked up shit. I remember hearing that. Like, damn. So, I mean, she has a pet lesbian on a leash during this interview, so it's kind of like distracting, but. Um, and they don't explain that. No, they don't need to. Well, they don't. Oh, the explanation <laughs> uh, is that um, Leslie would all but retire from acting, but she continued in the entertainment field by playing in several rock bands. Right. She's in a band called uh, Scary Cherry and the Bang Bangs, and in a lipstick lesbian group called Femme to Femme. So I'm assuming, and no judgments either way, you, you live your own life, uh, but I'm assuming that uh, the slave-master dynamic is something to do with the band, or maybe she just uh, has a really awesome life. I don't. I, I don't I know. Choose the awesome life. Either way, we love you, Leslie. Well, she showed up on set. It was never referred to. This is how she sat down for her interview, and they just rolled with it. I mean, she was a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. That, I didn't know that. When you said that, like I was sh- very shocked. Inside. That's a that's a pretty wide gap to get from point A to point B. But you know. Life um, takes us on journeys, man. That's true. That's true. As great as Leslie Dean is in the movie, the movie isn't called Tracy's Dead, so let's nope. move on to our favorite burnt-up child-murdering maniac, Robert England as Freddy Krueger. We're not going to do a rundown of Robert's other roles. You can check our previous retrospectives for that. I mean, we've got you know, covered that to the The to man's the a legend. That's all you need. This episode, I want to focus on the major change of Freddy from the previous films and that he has a fleshed-out backstory for the first time, and we find out how he was granted his dream killer abilities. Yeah. To properly discuss this, we unfortunately have to bring back the list of knocks against Rachel. All right, number five. It was Rachel's decision to explain Freddy's backstory. She had this to say, It was important to me to come up with things that expanded the mythology, and I think that it was important to kill Freddy, that you had to, uh, to kill Freddy, you had to understand more of his backstory. All right, does the backstory benefit this movie, or does it take the mystique away? First, I want to say this. The reason that Lisa Zane, Maggie, was able to kill her father by bringing him out in the real world is because... Unlike part one, when uh, Nancy fell asleep, she didn't have 3D glasses on. So she didn't really bring out all the dimensions. She only got 2D Freddy. <laughs> so that's the only reason. That's the only reason. Okay, no, the backstory's dumb. As a kid, I loved it. Reading about it, yeah, I was, I was a mark for it. But, no, it's dumb as shit. You leave it be. Even having the kid part of it's fine. Yeah, he had a kid. got taken. He's mad. The dream demons are ludicrous, but and I'm really proud of myself because I just thought of the 3D thing right now as we're sitting here. It's not something I had planned, but I'm like, because it's the same ending as the original, except she turns her back because the killing didn't work. Well, she bitch didn't have 3D glasses. <laughs> if she had 3D glasses, all the sequels would have never existed. By the way, what what just happened that you could not see because this is not fucking a visual podcast is that Tony said something so funny he made Coca-Cola shoot into my fucking sinuses. Yeah, it was great. Oh, my God. All right. Dream Demons. 
Stupid, right? Stupid. Stupid as fuck. I, I, now I still, again, like, <coughs> when I want a stupid Freddy, I put on Freddy's Dead, so I'm, I'm down with it. But no, objectively, totally dumb and stupid looking. Stupid. To, ah, yes, the whole scene. They're, they're fucking. It's 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 like, ghost sperm. It's ghost sperm, and he he willingly accepts the ghost sperm, and he it's, gets to live. It's in devil jizz, and that's how demons are born. It's a dream demon. That's a that's a, that's a cooler explanation than the yeah, movie gives. I wish. Um, Doc has a poster of the Dream Demons, um, and they try to don't give you it- know this is this is based on historical facts. Well, totally, definitely not just bullshit on the fly. Yeah, they they they, thir- they thoroughly researched this. <laughs> uh, indeed, uh, I, I'll give them credit because they they do kind of uh, what's the ah shit uh, the gun Chekhov's gun Chekhov's gun that yeah. shows something and then use it. So I mean. I it probably could have done with for me like the more you know about a character the less That's scary, scary they are. I 100% agree but it's not the scary was never on the table except uh, that uncomfortable scene with Tracy ew but I guess that in a good. That's kind of the ooh feeling I got from the remake. Though, had they gone one or two steps further, I'd have got up and left. Too much. That one, you know, it's all right on the line. But as a ten-year-old, I'm like, oh, she got touched. <laughs> that's that's uh, they, that, that shows you they went a little hard. Should I have seen it at ten? Probably not. But by today's standard, though, PG thirteen. If you cut out that. Oh, that, I was actually going to ask you that, and I, I we got a little. I over. think there's a couple fucks in there. I, you, you I knock out a fuck or two. I think if this movie were made now, it it would be PG thirteen horror. PG thirteen, like there's no way this would get an R rating. No, I, I have no doubt in that. I don't mean to uh, shortchange Freddie here, and we'll be talking about him throughout the retrospective um, before we hop over to our additional cast. But there's one final critical knock against Rachel and her decisions. Number six, this is the only film. Where Freddy does not kill anyone with his glove. Yeah, I mean, I get that. There's, is this, is this an oversight, or does it really not matter? I don't even th- wrong, because he had the power glove, and that's still the glove. He didn't use the knives on the glove, no, but he's no. You're not no, taking that. No. no, he killed somebody with his glove. That's the goddamn no, stupidest no, thing. It really is. I, I do love because even by '91, like I knew the power glove was bullshit. Well, I'm gonna tell you in just a minute uh, who should have got killed with the fucking glove. With our additional cast, we have a lot more to say about Freddy when we get to our victims. But first, let's briefly round out the rest of our cast. We have Ricky Dean Logan as Carlos. He was also in Back to the Future two and three. Mm-hmm. He was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, not the show, the one that our buddy Mick Strom worked on. Um, the unreleased Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. Yep. Uh, which Mick also worked on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ricky was originally cast as John Doe. The role of Carlos simply spoke to him more, and and uh, he kind of lobbied for it, even though uh, that was not who they brought him into play. Uh, he had this to say about it. I was supposed to play the lead. I was brought in to play Sean Greenblatt's part. When I read the script, I just felt more connected to Carlos. I immediately clicked with the character. Carlos is probably the most 
remembered thing about oh, this yeah. movie. Now we're not jumping ahead to his. No, we're not his talking death. about the victim. The, like the map says, we're fucked. That, <laughs> like, I remember even my dad laughed at that line. That that's a great great thing, and I have um, dreams a lot about being in the back seat of a car and like not being like. And I've, I've had this a very similar dream where, like, I because we're old and we lived in a time where Road there were maps. maps, and I'm in the back seat and I'm looking at a map trying to figure out like where we are because we're lost. And then I look up and no one is driving the fucking car, and I <laughs> and I'm doing that whole like feet and molasses thing trying to like climb over to get in the front seat. So I've had a similar dream to this, but the the map says we're fucked. Is one of the highlights of this That's movie. That's one of my favorite non Freddy comedic comedic beats of the whole movie. I, I the map say, well, the map says we're fucked. Do you think that um that he was uh, they made the right decision to made, be Carlos? Yes, yes, I do. I think if well, we don't know what like version of the script it went through rewrites and yeah. stuff. So I mean, I there there may have been a point where he he may have been. The, the character of Sean John Doe may have been a, a much bigger component to the script, but I, I ultimately the way the movie came out, I think he made the absolutely the right decision. Next up, we have Brecken Meyer as Spencer in his theatrical debut. Yep. Also in 18 episodes of the Jackie Thomas show. The reason I mentioned this is because uh, Tom Arnold was the star of that show. So there's another yeah, you know, weird connection. connection. He was in Clueless, uh, The Craft, John Carpenter's Escape from L.A., where um, fucking Snake Plissken rides a fucking surfboard. With Peter fucking Fonda. That's ridiculous. Gotta love it. Can't Hardly Wait. So they're Clueless and Can't Hardly Wait. Probably the two biggest teen girl movies in the Ever. 90s. Yes. Um, Rat Race, which is it's Why a mad, mad, pretty mad, funny? It's a mad, mad, mad world, only Condensed. not as good. No, it's not. Uh, he's in. He was John Arbuckle in both of those terrible live action Garfield movies with Bill <laughs> yeah. Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted. Um, he was sixty two episodes of King of the Hill. He was the voice of Joseph Gribble, and I did not know that until I didn't know that till you just said that I, right now. I had no idea. I love King of the Hill, which is getting yeah. a, a reboot set like in real time. Oh, okay. Well, so I'm gonna be sad about. I hope. I hope Luann. I hope they handle that. She uh, just moved her, off. Her and and um, fuck uh, Lucky, both dead. Yeah, they need to have gotten married and ran off. Well, they got married. I'm just saying they don't need need to ever reference because that's sad. Like I've even I thought hope, about. I, I hope the first episode is, their is like they're fucking both dead. They and died. Now, and, now, crash. and now fucking Slow. Hank and Peggy have to raise their daughter. There's your. <laughs> There's the reboot premise. There you go. Or fuck. Oh, and like Bobby is like a college dropout who's like still living in their basement, and yeah, there we go. He's yeah. like a big incel. Oh my god, he's got a waifu pillow. <laughs> <laughs> if that <laughs> the whole it's a one Greg... season eerie, and it ends with Hank Hill blowing his brains out in the garage. <laughs> Greg Daniels and fuck, I'm blanking on his name. Um, fuck. Uh, Guy who created the show. Uh, fucking Mike Judge. Mike Judge. Mike Judge. Get Mike Daniels. That. There's your fucking first season. First and only season. The, the 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 seasons that take place after that is Hank and fucking Purgatory because he committed suicide. <laughs> he can't go can't go to heaven. 
He has to cook on a charcoal grill. Oh my god. Oh. That's one of my favorite episodes. Anyway, continue. Uh, reportedly, Brecken uh, was a really nice guy, and despite his soaring career, you know, post Freddy's dad, he's remained friends with Ricky Dean Logan and Leslie Dean. It's cool that he didn't go all Hollywood on them. Yeah. From all accounts, really, really nice Same. guy. And last up, we have Yefik Koto as Doc. Also in Live and Let Die, where he, he, he fucking he blows up yes. like Violet Beauregard and uh, <laughs> Willy Wonka. Um, he was in Alien with Sigourney Weaver, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. He was in The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in Kindergarten Cop, who was directed by Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. He was in Midnight Run with Robert De Niro, who was in Mad Dog and Glory with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. You just say you got busted. Because with the Arnold one, there's still like three or four you could do just from Arnold. So we we could... uh, All right. I know the reason why Doc isn't killed in the movie. Yeah. It's because Yafit Koto's not going to do this movie if he gets killed. I would agree. He could have been cut. That's fine. He should have been killed. Right there in the scene. Well, no. Let him have the scene... Getting out and explaining everything, then something happens, and you or know, or oh, when he's out, Fred, when Freddy. he gets he gets fucking stabbed, and he's got and he dies telling them how to say like, "There's your fucking there, moment." There you go. Get, I'm not going to disagree with that at all. He gets his Oscar moment. Yeah, Oscar. <laughs> and and um, you know, we get another kill in the movie. Yeah, I think that I think, would have been a fight because Freddy. Once they leave the town, Freddy kills nobody. Freddy's completely ineffectual. His big break you know means why? jack shit. You know why? Because he went in a woman's brain and it lessened his Whoa. alpha. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> his whole essence couldn't well, fit in a rap. Cancel. Well, we made it 50-something episodes. This that was nice a run. joke. I live in a house full of women. Strong, <laughs> independent, wonderful women. And he's not killed any of them yet. I'm not. So... They might kill me. The youngest one's made an attempt. She's yeah. poisoned my chili. Well, Freddie probably... Freddy didn't kill any women, too. So There you go. There you go. It's, it's a house of cards, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move on to our victims, there is an element to the story uh, that Doc presents that affects the victims. Uh, Doc says that Freddie is messing with the lines between dreams and reality, but this is completely different than the five films that preceded it. Okay, number one. Why do the bodies, when someone gets killed, physically disappear in re- in this reality? This is the this this is kind of an overarching argument in all of them. Why do they die exactly how they die in part one? Why do they you know the reality thing will leave that that alone? Part three he makes it look like suicide. Part four accidents. Part five, it's just a dumb oversight. I think they wanted something to be cool to again expand the mythos. They're erased out of existence. I think it's a dumb, bad decision. But no, the the erasing them from existence I think is an interesting plot point. However, their bodies physically disappearing that gets a little too. Freddie again, as I said about this before with part two, he was still growing and expanding. By this point, he'd wiped out an entire town's children. So. Maybe this is just a new, later evolution of Freddy. He's gained more power. He gets strength from their souls. He's killed a whole fucking town of kids. I'm going to tell so you right maybe now. maybe now he can. I'm going to tell you right now. If he killed someone with his fucking glove, they wouldn't have disappeared. Yaffa You're right. They would have stayed there. <laughs> they, would have been a, they would have been a rotten Yaffa Kodo on a fucking couch. And exactly. they would have left it there for fucking weeks. <laughs> because this... this 
fucking town adjacent to uh, Springwood it was just filled with nothing but grody nastiness. They'd dump the fucking couch out and he'd just be a fucking puddle on it. There you uh, go. Freddy's Dead doesn't boast the highest body count in the series, but it does have its fair share of bloody good fun. So let's break down the victims of Freddy's Dead. All right, number one. After entering the Elm Street house, Carlos falls asleep in an upstairs bedroom. In his dream, he's whisked away to his old neighborhood only to be confronted by his abusive mother with an obscenely long Q-tip. However, it's Freddy who does the... the who, <laughs> I'm, I'm clapping right now. Who does the deed and jams it into Carlo's left ear and pops it all the way through to the other side. Freddy takes his glove and cuts off Carlos' right ear and taunts him with it. That makes me laugh. This whole scene is like... That, honestly, now, again, watching it now, I feel bad for... Brecken Meyer came from, You know, his daddy didn't love him enough, but Carlos was horribly abused by his mother. Tracy was molested. Lord knows what uh, fucked up shit John Doe had to go through being hidden as that last teenager in the town. His parents were probably killed by the other people trying to get him. They 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 were, they were probably passing him around from family to family. Exactly. It's all on fucked him. up. Uh, the next series of events has no sound other than Carlos's heartbeat. Oh, and breath. no, no, no you, you skipped a beat. He puts, he gives him a new. He took his hearing. He gives him a new hearing aid. No, no, not, not oh, yet. You not yet. Oh, oh, At yeah, he's point, deaf. Okay, you're. All you hear is like his breath and his heartbeat. It's, it's, great. it's super effective. Yeah. That's one of the few things that genuinely freaks me out. Like if I'm at a haunted house or something like that. Anything in silence. If it gives silence no with, with just ambient noise here or there. Yeah. That, that's the only thing that puts me on fucking edge. I do not like silence. I can't sleep with the, you know, in just nothing. He always has a TV on. TV is yeah. always on. I, I have to have something going, fan going, air. It's got to be something. That shit freaks me out. Um, this is surprisingly effective. Uh, Freddy tosses him through a brick wall. It leads into the boiler room. After stumbling uh, along aimlessly uh, for a time, Carlos finds his hearing aid. But upon returning it to his ear... It becomes a spider, and it like burrows into his skin. Um, John Carl Beekler did this effect, by the way. So hell yeah, we, that's, we, that's a great effect. We always find a way to wiggle him in the in the series. Man was a legend. The biomechanical hearing aid amplifies everything to a ridiculous degree, so the sound of dripping a faucet is like a cannon going off. He like jumps and like you know stops it from yeah. going. Um, and this is playing on the comedy, but it's—I think it's the right. It's the right amount of like this is fucked up, but it's a funny premise. Yeah, I the pin dropping like a fucking if this ball. Been, if this had been in part five, it would have been the best thing in part five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's in phrase dead, and it's arguably the best thing. And it's uh, it's the only yeah. We'll talk. Freddy comically drops needle uh, needles uh, drops a needle one needle uh, and Carlos is able to catch it and it makes you know like it's like a fucking bomb going off but um, 
then he just tosses off a handful, and um, they, it's just like bombs going off, mortar shells exploding. Freddy then takes a small chalkboard, and just like a fucking Looney Tunes character, he's able to stretch it to a, a larger it size. honestly creeped me out as a kid. He's like, ooh, <laughs> ah. Like that, for some reason, that's the only point of that. It wasn't like really creeped out. I'm like, that's, this, that's creepy. He puts it up he- against the claw. So he does kill somebody with a claw, doesn't he? No. Yeah. No. Yep. The it's claw the is directly just, responsible. You could argue the sleeve of the glove. It's, the it's knives the on chalkboard. It's the sound that kills him. He doesn't kill. He doesn't what impale. Do you make the sound with? He doesn't impale anybody with his fucking glove. God damn it! I'm not letting you have this one. No. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll relent on it. I just wanted to argue for argument's sake. All right. He he scratches on it annoyingly, which is. Hard to watch, yeah. uh, especially with my you know souped up sound system. It was it was deafening. The pulsating sound makes his head explode. Freddie quips, "Nice hearing from you, Carlos." What do you give this kill? I changed this on the fly. My original thing was eight and a half. I'm going to give this a ten for the overall whole scene, like how uncomfortable it was watching the abusive mom. The ridiculousness of the premise that it does skirt the, like the that nightmare three line of fun and still threatening. I'm going to give this. And spoiler alert! It's my only tent, well, and that's no, just generous on the moment changing. It's going to be an nothing. Nothing ranks that high for me. I did give yeah. it an eight out of ten, which yeah. I think is more that's than fair. fair. But I'm I'm counting the whole situation. I'm going to just kill eight and a half. No, I, I probably shouldn't rate this so highly because it does get in totally Looney Tunes territory with its comic violence. But I mean, this Freddy is this, straight this up is, ejaculates. This, like when he's this scratching, is, this is the most entertaining thing in the movie for me. So I can't I can't deny the entertainment value, albeit oh, the only entertaining kill. I should say there's entertaining. Well, no, there's stuff. plenty of entertainment. But as there's far as like kill kills, goes. this is Slasher. the most. This is the most entertaining. Yeah. Thing. Um, I think it's fair to say that Carlos's death is probably the most memorable thing in Freddy's Dead as far as like Death's what good. people, yeah. general people remember. But it wasn't the original idea. In fact, New Line head honcho Bob Shea had a completely different idea. Dire- uh, 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 director Rachel Talley had this to say. Bob wanted to do something more interesting, and he had this idea we could blow the head up like puzzle pieces, weird organic head parts. I now really wish that we had done something like that, which was more visual and interesting. On paper, this is probably a, a cool idea. And I, I, When reading this, I think about... Um, Brain damage, the cover of yeah. brain damage, which is like the pieces coming out of um, the guy's head. In practice, I can't imagine that this There's done no- practically would would sell the effect in the way that it would be written. Yeah, and like, no, I'm glad it's it's like it, man. It'd be cool if his head blew apart in puzzle pieces, man. But no, no, it's the they only. Did it fun. It's the only type of kill that, for me. That would that CGI would have been absolutely uh, a necessity. Not to, Well, no, not no. God, no. I'm saying that, like, just in <laughs> general, that, man, shit. If, if you want this type of kill, yeah, you, yeah, have you have to have to do it. You have to do it in CGI. Number two, Spencer, after smoking a joint, falls asleep on a couch in the Elm Street house. His dream 
He's watching television where he sees Johnny Depp in a cameo doing the this is your brain on drugs angle. Cracks an egg in a frying pan and Freddie whacks Johnny with the frying pan. It turns the TV all psychedelic. Iron Butterflies, Anna Gutter DeVita starts playing. Psychedelic colors stretch from the TV. They wrap around Spencer only to pull him inside of the television. Now up to this point... Even though it is a little on the jokey side, this does feel like Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. We're about to take a fucking I have stri- to say, I've seen this entire movie under the influence of LSD for that scene. I watched the rest of it, and honestly, at some points in the movie, I was kind of scared that I would get hooked up into the movie and, and it would fuck with me. I'm like, no, nah, this is this is hilarious. <laughs> Never, because I've done that. I did... LSD and watched a movie on Netflix once about Santa Claus that like I got super invested in and cried. Was it Kurt Russell's Santa Claus? No, it was the one Klaus where he goes to the town that has people fighting, real dark visuals. But I'm just saying, definitely put your brains on drugs and watch it, kids. (laughs) Burn a fatty, drop some acid, eat some shrooms. it, It couldn't make it worse. No, definitely. It's only going to make it better. In the dream world, Spencer then finds himself in a video game while Freddy controls him with a joystick. In the real world, Spencer's body is being comically flung through windows and pogoed up and down. The scene culminates with Freddy using the fucking Nintendo Power Glove, knocking yeah. Spencer down the stairs. Two people killed by gloves so far. Then the TV, two two. the TV fills with blood. The... This is really the only gory part of the movie, uh, is the blood coming out of the TV. Well, he cut off a fucking ear and blew up a head. I mean, it's not a bloody t- gory movie. They kept it already. You know, they, actually, they kept a blood. There's no blood splatter with the Do that you know ear. why? To keep it already? No. The, the reason is that that factory that they rented out, and I didn't even have this no in my notes, they said, lit. like, you cannot stain this place. Okay. So. That was a part of well, them getting like the... there's some scenes of Carlos, like his face contorting there are pretty good. But there's no blood. There's no blood. You're right. It's the only bloody scene in the whole movie. All right. What do you What do you give Spencer's death? I'm going to give it... God, it's like a... I have two scores. Again, this, the actual death, he falls down a hole beaten by a video game avatar of his dad into a pile of his dad's. That's like a five. At best, generous... The Looney Tunes with his body flying around, that knocks it up to like a six and a half. For <laughs> fuck me. you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. I, I this... know. I gave in to the point. Like, it's Looney Tunes. It's not. It, 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 I can I can forgive the other things in this movie. <laughs> this is the part of the movie where I'm like, I had, had I, had, I had to pause it and I went outside. <laughs> if I'd had a cigarette, I would have fucking smoked it. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? It. Like, they just gave in to the literal cartoonishness of the premise. I'm not saying I like it. only at best adds a point and a half to a average. I like the whole Freudian, his dad's the bad guy. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's amusing. Is it? It's a lot better. It's, uh, the whole scene is a lot better on paper 
than film. But I kind of... Yeah, put that piece of paper in the fucking shredder because it sucks. <laughs> it does amuse me a little bit. It's not really him. It's other people trying to keep up with him. If Lisa Zane and if uh, I Tracy... Saw, if I saw this scene independent from a movie, I could probably enjoy it in of itself. In you know what's smack, going on. Smack dab in the middle of this movie, it derails the After fucking story. kind of good Freddy kill. It's a pretty good Freddy yes. kill. Yes. Yeah, then we... Anyways, my score, yeah. 2 out of 10. And I, <laughs> I, I could not in good faith give it anything higher than that. This scene is so embarrassing. And God bless Robert England because he's the only human being on the fucking planet could who say. could make this fucking work. Um, there was some controversy with this scene uh, because of the movie... Uh, the inclusion of the power glove, uh, Rachel Talley had this to say, before the Wii, Nintendo had this power glove that didn't work at all. It sucked. <laughs> but it was this totally groovy looking glove and you sort of moved it around and like you would with the Wii. Now, say I'm, and I'm playing with power. We wanted to use the power glove and Nintendo said no. And Bob said, well, I don't care. If they said no, we're going to do it anyways. I'm more sold. I, I it sold more power gloves than Nintendo did, and <laughs> yeah. they didn't sue me. <sighs> do you, I get why you hate it? I, I totally. I'm not disagreeing and saying you're wrong. I just kind of dug everybody like walking around trying to find him, like punching through walls. If I, and it's people's reaction to the absolute madness of the scene. If at that point, I, at what at what point does Maggie just find another fucking job? We, we're because forgetting the fact they're stuck in this situation. But B, we're forgetting the fact the first time we see Freddy in this movie, he's dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West. Let's talk about it. As all the commotion is going on with Spencer, John Doe asks Tracy to knock him out with a pipe so he can stop Freddy from killing Spencer in the dream world. In the dream world, John Doe finds himself in a burning building, so he jumps through a window only to find that he's falling from the sky. He pulls a tag on his shirt, which turns into a parachute, a.k.a. a parachute, which I am a, I am ashamed. <laughs> I am so fucking ashamed of myself for making that fucking pun. In the real world, this causes him to be shot through the roof of the van, which is funny. Yeah, I don't know that cool. it was, I don't know if this scene was meant to be funny. But I think it, the whole thing, but especially it, how it culminates. He looks up to see Freddy floating at the top of his parachute. Freddy pops down to deliver some exposition that John Doe had been... He Basically, he was a Trojan kid. He was yeah. sent there to, as a vessel to bring back Maggie. And, you know, there's our, our loose plot. Uh, as John falls, uh, we see uh, Freddy back up in frame, pushing a bed of spikes... We don't really see John hit the bed of spikes. We the holes appear. Yeah, I mean, there's there is some blood there, but not bit. not much. A little bit out of the blood. Everybody, no matter what, in the eighties and nineties, if you died, blood's gonna come out of your mouth. And in a in a definite uh, comedic joke, that I think absolutely works. Um, to add insult to injury, Freddie changes the population number. You know, one less yeah. on the on the sign. I I did like that. Um, now we didn't really touch on it, but. 
the other encounter that he has uh, at the very beginning is sort of paralleled here. Yeah. And it's this whole thing about heights and with him and stuff. And you get to see Freddy uh, as the Wicked Witch of the West. I'll get you, my pretty little soul, too. It's, it's only Robert England could deliver a line that bad. And, and it's still it's, 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 it's it bad. Has, it has good. It's, it's a yeah. bad scene. I never wanted to see it. If I could erase it and change it, I would. But given that we have to have it, you know... But back to the the the, the kill at hand. Um, we've established that he's terrified of heights, and you know, Freddy saws the uh, the straps of his parachute. I kind of, that whole scene when he looks up and sees Freddy floating, floating at the top and comes down like, "Oh, do you think I'm your daddy?" Raw. That's still pretty Freddy to me. That's still feeling like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I like the the unreality of like I guess they had in one of those air tunnel like parachute places i don't know how they did it but it, it is a it's effective. a cool little yeah. a glidey dreamy type sequence and the cuttings when it starts to get looney tunes and this is he literally gives him a wily cody he he roadrunners his ass to death i think i i i don't know what your score is going to be on this but i i feel guilty giving this as high a score as i as i have i get it I give it a five. Dead in the middle. Here's why. The kill itself. I did. I thought the holes appearing was really cool. Him like Acme, you know, or trying like Wiley Coyote, not really Roadrunner. Wiley Coyote said the traps just he got the Roadrunner this time. Even like the huff, and I still liked it. Like, ugh, like it's so heavy and hard putting it up. He literally, he, he literally does the Bugs Bunny <coughs> yeah, stretch out not... of, you know, the, it's the, if Bugs Bunny had done the same thing, the one leg up, one leg down, shoulder yeah. up on the thing, he does the exact same I, frame to frame that piece was, of animation. That was not an unintentional reference to Looney Tunes. That was a hundred percent conscience, conscious decision, but I did like. I especially like the paralleling of the dream, how it kicks further, and him saying, fuck it, you know, with the false bravado that he's Freddy's kid. The parachute, nice one, I love it. (laughs) Opening up and, like, seeing Freddy floating around and gliding, all good. I'm down so far. When he wheeled that out, and here's another, like, the holes, I was like, the nails I didn't, and then, like, nothing again, nothing I hated that kind of too. I didn't really care for it. I thought it was a little overacted. So it's good, bad, good, bad. So it's five. I gave it a four out of ten. I'm embarrassed to give it that much. Uh, the yeah. setup has some cool ideas. But the execution and pushing the cartoon element it just it goes a tad too far for me. A little bit of trivia about this scene. According to Sean Greenblatt, this sequence was not directed by Rachel Talley. She got really sick and was reportedly. Uh, uh, directed by producer Aaron Warner, and uh, he took it over and finished it. And he's had a really, really successful career. He uh, produced, I think, the the Shrek movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, he got a little, he got a little, little taste little, of Freddy, a little taste of Freddy. And uh, arguably, I know you gave the other one a look. It's my least favorite kill of the whole movie. Ugh. Ah. Uh, uh, uh. There, I, you know, there's I, only I, really I, one that's, that's even good in this movie. Yeah. 
Dur okay, number four. During Maggie's dream excursion into Freddy's psyche, we see a flashback of Freddy's uh, stepfather, who is played by Alice Cooper. Fuck yes. Now, at the time of the the, the time that this episode will drop, I will be a, th a few days away from getting to see Alice Cooper for like the sixth or seventh time. Having a family sucks. Har Harris uh, <laughs> Cherokee Casino. I'm um, uh, gonna take some extra money with me, and uh, let's you know, see if I can. Uh, I've got to see Alice Cooper with Brandon twice, Tennessee Theater, and then with Rob Zombie. Oh yeah, the uh, yeah. Um, I remember that you were fucking drunk. I brought a little half pint of liquor, been to the parking lot, but because the, <laughs> they never served liquor at Thompson Bowling Arena. Well, that tour was sponsored by Jaeger, so yeah. didn't at one point I try to throw you in a mosh pit or something? Maybe that, Mars needs women. Hey. I, I, I caught Piggy D's uh, bass pick that, <laughs> yeah. at that show. That was a great show. Well, actually, I have uh, that concert. I don't have Rob Zombie's set, but uh, remember, remember? I thought it was a Tennessee theater. That th no, yeah, it was it in was, Knoxville. Yeah. They had the little flash drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I made I made cover art and everything for it because I'm a physical collector, motherfucker. Yep. Um, Alice whips Freddy, who is played by uh, Chasen Schremer. I hope I'm saying that correct. But by this point, Freddy has embraced pain and decides to return it uh, to the rock icon by killing him off screen with a straight razor. No, he gets 3D'd to death. <laughs> it's just that actor holding a straight razor out in 3D. Uh. I gave this a 5 out of 10, and here's why. I'm I'm rounding this up, but it's an off screen kill, which shouldn't it Check shouldn't it shouldn't Check fucking it shouldn't fucking get a score you know above a one, but it's Alice fucking Cooper. I gave it a five only because it's Alice Cooper. I'm like I'm not gonna break a scene with Alice Cooper lower than a five. It's just not happening. If, if, if for no other reason, Alice Cooper being in this movie playing Freddy's stepfather. And it is kind of you ready, boy? Just Freddy, you ready for your medicine? <laughs> Alice Cooper was very popular on set. Rachel Talley had this to say, The coolest thing ever was getting Alice Cooper and the most excited I've ever seen the crew. The crew were excited to see Johnny Depp and all that, but having Alice Cooper on set was just, ah! You have a fucking legend on set. All right, number five. Continuing in Freddy's psyche, Maggie witnesses Freddy strangle his wife Loretta and her and mother. Bash your fucking head in. He's it's not just he, strangling. He's he beats he's, her head in. He's like shaking her, and she's getting whiplash, and then her head is hitting the back of like the the shed or whatever. Um, I gave this a three out of ten. It's nothing I, special. I honestly, and this is gonna, I, I have a justification. I gave it a seven out of ten because being in the background and being kind of realistic makes it effective. This kid is seeing this, and you just see, like, you know, it's not up close. It's not visceral. That honestly made it more effective. That's seven out of ten for me. Well, if you're you're entitled to your incorrect, factually <laughs> correct opinion. I take up more mass than you in the world, therefore my word takes more has whoa, more weight. Whoa, I'm getting there, my friend. I'm you getting got there. about you got about six inches to go there. Well, I was talking about fatness. Oh, I know. I just want to take a dig at you. I, I give it a three out of ten. It's nothing I get, special. I, mean, I, 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 get I think it. it's just adding to the body count, and I feel like you could have had this as an off-screen kill, um, and just having Freddie describe it to her. I or think. her running across the house and finding the body. Who knows? Yeah, Instead I, of like even like seeing it, like, oh, oh, it's okay, mommy fell down. That would have been more effective. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't fucking know. Number six, Maggie is able to pull Freddy from her dreams. With 3D glasses. That's why it's valid this time. All three dimensions, his soul included, is trapped now in his body. Well, and, but it's proven because if the 3D glasses come back, everything still looks all weird to her. And as much as we'd love to go with the canon of the first movie, it is just, it is in 2D. It's in 2D. And, and therefore, she, you know, she, she only killed two dimensions yeah, of Exactly. Him. So he's able to respawn, grow stronger. He tried something new in part two, went back to the old tried and true in three and beyond. But, you know, she had the 3D glasses. It's it's science. She finds Freddy cowering in human form, pleading for understanding and mercy, but Maggie is not receptive. Instead, she takes a spiked baseball bat that has been shown to the camera in, yeah, in a, an 3D amazing 3D. Whoa, whoa. Um, Maggie slaps Freddy. Well, hold on, let me back up a little bit. She uses the the bat to knock the glove off of Freddy. Then she starts throwing fucking fucking ninja Ninjas. knives and and, and ninja stars. There, and there's a knife throwing class you take to become a child therapist. I, I guess so. Uh, she was she was taking Tybo. <laughs> that was very popular in the nineties. Freddy. Freddy returns to his burnt form. Uh, Maggie slaps him with his own glove, bites his nose, uh, breaks, breaks his, his finger. Hand. That, well, I'd like that. That effect is really, really effective. It's really sold by his face too when he's trying to like. It's the it's the way because it it break it's at the faint like the clasp of the fingers, but it's like it's more on like a yeah. palm. I, it's just oh, it's just a gross fucking thing. She uh, she impales him with all this shit. She sticks him in the uh, the chest with a fucking crowbar, stabs him with his own glove. Um, you do get that. This is the moment I was talking about where it's like f- f- uh, Vader and um, yeah, where try it on. Yeah, feels good. To, yeah, I get that. Let the hate flow through you. <laughs> Yeah, there there was a there was a Vader uh, Luke kind of moment there, um, but last but not least, uh, we also get Chekhov's pipe bomb. Yeah, they, they set up a pipe bomb earlier. So um, I guess that's sort of uh, uh, Spencer gets the last laugh in, in yeah. that regard. <sighs> she wishes him a happy Father's Day. Gives him a kiss on the cheek. Stunned, Freddy takes one final moment to quip for the final time in the original series. Kids. Then he explodes into some terrible early CGI from the 90s. I haven't, I didn't take count of this because the whole 3D glasses was, again, some bullshit I flew up on the th- fly. Like my theory about teenagers' brains not being developed in part three that I now hold to. That's why Nancy failed, although this is less, more of a joke. But I wonder, when the mouths come out of different mouths, does it happen three times? Like, I know it happens a couple. Like, bro, if it happens three times, that means all three dimensions of him are dead. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that's a long way to go to get to this end of this joke. I, But I want to say it happens about, it happens, I know at least twice and probably I three times. I think it does happen three times. I, and the I, I, I think that's biblical truth. It is. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's in It's in Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> Verse two. <laughs> that, that she killed his fucking Maggie killed Freddie with because like if you go if, if you go like uh, what is it called a concordance? Okay, yeah, concordance. you go to a concordance like and you look up Freddie. 
it, you're gonna find him in, in the fucking Acts. Bible now, yeah. But yeah, no, like I've like in, in Craven, uh, really in fir- first Craven, first Craven, third uh, third chapter. Yeah. Oh, oh man, I am I am on fire. What did you give this kill? Okay, honestly, it was a seven because I did like some of the stuff. The, the nail, the finger thing was fucking on. I'm again going over the whole fight scene, not just the blowing up. Uh, seven, but I'm on the fly going to add an extra half point because of the 3D glasses. Fuck kill. you. Fuck. Seven and a half. I gave this a six out of ten. At one point, I got a Hot Shots Part Do vibe where Maggie just keeps fucking impaling. I just and watched that like two days ago. It's the way it's edited. Yeah. Because it's... It's quick cut editing. Yeah, it, but that's exactly the way that like some of those fucking yeah. kills happen in the when movie. He goes through and it starts equal to RoboCop, bloodiest movie of all time. Uh, I, this, this list is so many fucking laughs for me, and... I'm guessing that it was supposed to be intentional. Uh, it has to be intentional. It, everything about this, you're just supposed to feel he's getting his ass. Well, hey, let's be over the top as fuck. Because, well, actually, no. She paid for college by being a sideshow assistant to a knife thrower. That's why her knife skills are so sharp. Fair enough. That's That was a deleted scene. Actually, if you watch it in, in the, on a Blu-ray... Uh, in the background, there's a, probably a picture of her in like a little carnival. That would be great. I would uh, somebody Photoshop yeah, that. Photoshop it. Cut it into the movie. Oh, sexy. All right, she gets the titular line of the movie, and I she's she's great. She's very talented. She's a very good actress. It's a bad line. That line is horrible. There there is no way you delivered that line convincingly. And she's so fucking smug about it. Freddie's dead. At ten years old, I'm like, that was a little corny. You know, fun fact, a lot of the soundtrack, Goo Goo Dolls, before they went... We actually have a a question about uh, about the music. I own the soundtrack. So just like that, one of the screen's greatest cinematic villains was laid to rest, kinda. Robert England had this to say about Freddy's death. Given the fact we've done several others after Freddy didn't really die, it may it makes that one look bullshit. A, 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 it may, makes that one look a little more facetious, I guess, in its execution. They did one afterwards. New Nightmare is totally different. I'll go, New Nightmare is one of the greatest meta-horror movies ever made with horribly bad effects for the time, but nice thought. There are some good effects and then some... Coming out of the sky, lifting... It was a great concept with amazing scenes and Heather Langenkamp at her most bangable. Weirdly enough, I thought it was part three. Rewatching a bunch of them the other day, I'm like, I bangers. I like MILFs. (laughs) And she's literally... She's still attractive now, but... (laughs) In part three, she has that white streak in her the hair. Rogue streak. It's hot. It's the only time I ever found Anna Paquin like actually attractive. Before True Blood, there's some scenes where she's got some tits out there, fine. But was the little streak in her hair at the end of X-Men. can't fucking touch her. Can't touch her. I know. <laughs> Don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're lost, bitch. <laughs> All right, million dollar question. After everything we've gone through and we've discussed tonight, is Phrase Dead the worst of the series? No. Five. I I agree. Like, five has reasons it's bad that are not fun or entertaining. There are plotting bad, bad problems. Five looks better than, than Freddy's Dead. 
Five has some amazing yeah. set pieces and I did, but tonally, plot-wise, kill-wise. One of my knocks about this movie, and it has nothing to do with the direction, which I think is yeah. the direction is just fine. The movie at points has it has that nineties stink upon it. It really I'll give you I'm gonna give you this one. And um, it it's not it's not the style or anything. It's just it's just the way it looks. It it's very, there's parts where it's very it, flat. It was filmed in the nineties. They're trying to go even further in the future, which makes it just more nineties. Oh, even though know, it's in two thousand one. You but. know what was worse than the nineties? And I will say this definitively: the early two thousands was the lowest point for film. The nineties slasher film, not film, horror fil- film, film, horror. no, no, film in general. The early two thousands. You had Lord of the fucking Rings. I'm not saying there weren't soaring heights, but overall, you had the Matrix sequels. You had, you had, you had, fuck, you had Rob Schneider movies every fucking weekend. I read some article about how cinema peaked in 1999, and they went through a list of uh, why we, it's definitively the best year in and, cinema. Me and Fat Fuck Scott in the Detroit Rock City episode. We list that fuck kiss. We, no, we, we went down the list of because that movie came out in 1999, and we went down the list, and I, it's hard to argue that it's yeah, it's one of great ones. one of the best years. But it took it took a while into the 2000s for film to recover yes. from the from well, the. Well, now we're, we've got a kind of a golden age here in like the tens on, especially with horror. Now you have streaming has benefited. Streaming has benefited horror, horror more than so any, almost any other genre. There's some good comedies that have streamed, but all right, okay, let's anyway. let's uh, let's close this out. I'm going to defend Rachel before we uh, move on to uh, our. No I don't questions. need to finish. She did a great job. Good job. You made the movie you wanted. Fuck the haters. There are there are a lot of these films, and I'm not speaking specifically about the Nightmare on Elm Street films, but like they're directors for hire, and they don't give a shit about the content and the care and stuff. Like, yeah, you may may have made decisions that weren't universally loved but you came at it from the perspective of somebody who'd been there from the very beginning so i can't i can't deny her the ideas that she had and i think the movie is v- overly well directed uh, uh yeah know, i get what you're saying comparative, with the comparative to movies uh, horror films of, uh, of yes, that time definitely they took it they they treated it like a real movie our opinions are just that. They're opinions, but we'll leave the last word to Robert England, who had this to say. We jumped the shark a little. I'm not going to deny that, but we wanted to do the movie we made. Hell yeah. All right. Fan questions. We haven't done this in a while, and um, these both of these are pretty good. So, number one, one of the things I really hate about Freddy's Dead is the shitty alternative music. <laughs> Where's docking when you need them? That comes from Adam James. That's the biggest 90s stink you got on it. And this was before Goo Goo Dolls sold out. Goo Goo Dolls used to be, and I'm using air quote, metal band well, on Metal Blade Records. Yeah. And then they did that, I won't tell them your name. And they're like, fuck yeah, let's get paid. And no hate on them. Um, but they're not good. I'm going to say this. Watch Freddy's Dead once, and you'll have "Don't Fall Asleep to Dream." You will have that stuck in your head for a fucking week. Um, I'm not particularly fond of the music in the movie overall. Yeah, no. um, but the score is pretty good, yes. which is done by Brian May, not that Brian oh. May of Queen. Brian May, the composer, not Brian May, the the guitar. <laughs> I was about to be like, "What the fuck?" Okay. Now I'm. 
This this uh this question right here, um, I had forgotten about this because uh, it had been a while since I read the comic. But are you aware? And if so, how do you feel about Maggie being evil in Freddy versus Jason versus Ash Nightmare Warriors? I, like I like I, I do remember because I do prefer Nightmare Warriors. They're both great. But they go full bore. They go balls out, and I love it. And you know what? And they they do go full incestuous relationship. And like I don't feel either way because since it's non canonical in my head, uh, yeah, fuck it. Go go ball. If you're gonna go, go big. And that's that the art, whole that art of of Freddie fucking uh, cupping her near, uh, nearly bare breast is is such a fucking gross image. She gets killed by Tina from part 7 yep. on Friday the 13th. Uh, so she got her come up and um, I I I just again, I don't I didn't when even reading it, I didn't even connect him. I'm just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do this. Yeah, fuck it. Freddy's the new George Bush. Yeah, fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> Cuz it keeps I had no idea of it, its existence. I did not know how far at the time I had not read the original Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash. And both of those are written by Jeff Katz, and we have been yeah. big detractors of him, but I will well, always give him those. I will always give him credit because both of those are fucking fantastic. Yeah, I think if those were successfully filmed in the movies, we would die. There is no way There's they could do Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash I'm just Nightmare saying, Warriors on a budget that could be no, returnable. I'm saying if any way, shape, or form it made it as a movie... I would not have survived they the theatrical were, experience. They, I would have died from orgasm. They fucked up in not making that into an animated movie direct to video. I guarantee that would have been a big hit. Oh yeah. They still they could still do it. They well Good luck, yeah. fucking Freddy. Uh, Freddy's rights have reverted back to the Craven's estate, oh. and um, Friday Thirteenth, like that lawsuit is over, but no one knows how the the rights are going to work with Victor Miller owning the. Okay, it's and, never going to happen. They're great comic books, but yeah, no, I I loved it in the fact that yes, it's even more crazy. Let's do it. Every page, I was like this. So I was totally down for it. Yeah, they they really. The, atten- the attention to detail and like cramming every fucking character in there to for a big huge blow off. It, it's good stuff. Now before we close out the episode, we have our new ongoing segment, Rants Recommends, where myself and Fat Tony will be recommending something pop culture related to out there and the Rant Army. So music, movies, books, games, that sort of thing. What do you got for us this month, Fat Tony? MacGruber, the it- Peacock original show, MacGruber. I've watched it three times through now. It is superior to one of my favorite all-time comedies, like top ten. It is fucking amazing. It is. It is genuinely good. I and God bless them for for doing it. Because going balls out with it. MacGruber was not a huge hit. No, when it, it came wasn't. out. And he, he well, I can't remember Dakota. He did some kind of like almost Oscar worthy movie that everybody yeah. was sucking his dick for. He's like, I'm just as proud as MacGruber as this. Like he's always stood by it. I I absolutely loved uh, the series. I I can't say enough positively about it. It's a quick binge. Yeah, it, it was easy to get through, and they put it was they put all the episodes up. Yeah, in it's one eight season. episodes. Yeah, so yeah, the, you didn't was, have to it wait. Wasn't, it wasn't a week to week. Unlike thing. the fucking shit of how to do it anyway. Yeah, but uh, I that that gets my seal of approval. I'm glad it does. My uh. 
My uh, choice this month is uh, something I know that you uh, I recommended for you to yes. watch. It's called Blue Ruin. It's oh. a film from 2013. It sort of flew under the radar. It's an intense and like raw dissection of vengeance and revenge. Uh, it really digs into the idea of the moral moral justification for murder and explores the notion that there's like always two sides to a story, regardless of how right you may be from your perspective, there's probably things going on that you you're not aware of. And Brandon recommended that I watched it. I was riveted. Couldn't pull away. My wife in the background, you know, our desk, her desk is in the computer. She's trying to do her online school. She got sucked in. It was great. Yeah, uh, the 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 casting and everything, uh, the you get the the weird the guy played Buzz in Home Alone has a cameo as a as a guy like a gun nut. And, Apparently, uh, that took Brandon out. I was so invested; that, it didn't occur to me till later. That's the only part of the movie where I'm like, oh my god, he's fucking aged so badly, and he yeah. he was not an attractive uh, child actor to begin with. But that's good on you for still acting in movies. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's currently streaming on HBO Max, so I highly recommend that. And MacGruber is on Peacock. So. Yes, it's like you're not gonna. You're, it's a solid use of your time either way. All right, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. But we'll be back later this month for a commentary for the 1990s seminal slasher in the vein of what everybody glorifies it as and um tony's going to defend it and i'm going to to a point so detract you, you from said it. 1990 it's 1990s. 1990s oh 90s okay i'm sorry yes 96 and with that film being motherfucking scream and that's your birthday present uh, yes and i will defend the shit out of this there is only there are only two major flaws of this movie and I will go into them. Well, I don't know what they are from your perspective and really one of them's a kill and just a dumb decision, but the other one it took me a while it took me a rewatch to get. No, my mine is going to be and I'll save it, but mine is uh is probably not something that you have considered and I don't really there, if it's Neb Campbell not being nude, I totally that's another that's a third reason. I that's, agree. That's a second that's a second reason. <laughs> I apologize. God damn it, I'm wrong. Um, but no, we'll we'll dissect that. Uh, have a fun watch along. So, be, uh, check back with us uh, later this month. A trigger warning for necrophilia. I will be all over Wes Craven's cock during this movie. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> all right. Hi, Brian. He's a new. He listens at work sometimes. All right. Thanks, Brian, for uh, subscribing. Yeah. Uh, buy a fucking t-shirt. Uh, till then, the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just going down the list. We're available yeah, just about anywhere, anywhere. you can hear. Please go give us a sub. Uh, you can find us on social media at Rants Black Lodge. Um, you know, we're over that thousand uh, Twitter follower range. Okay, Twenty five hundred uh, people. And um, I'm hoping that this episode continues with that. We had a lot of fucking feedback on Twitter. People really, really uh, yeah. both sides of the argument. Yeah. But everybody was very interested in what we had to say. So I'm looking forward to getting some feedback from that. Um, check us out on our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. And for the love of Cthulhu, go buy a t-shirt or a mug from our web store at RantArmy.com. For Fat Tony, this is Brennan A. Lane signing off. Till next month, Rant Army. Keep marching.